The following is a hoop ball presentation. me on twitter at corbin mba there's a hoop ball presentation so check out hoop ball on twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop dash ball.com uh listen y'all nba season is coming up very very soon literally we're like approaching under 40 days uh which means fancy basketball is already starting i'll tell y'all right now i say it all the time eh, i'm okay i'm not super good i come up with the cool names abaka flock of flame finished proudly 14th last time we played this um and listen that was because i didn't really use a lot of fantasy stuff i just kind of went with my guys and went that way you can do that and have some fun with it but if you really want to get an edge on your fantasy basketball get pro tips get understanding on who to play who to drop that sort of vein definitely check out hoop ball again on twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop dash ball.com leagues are already starting so get in there and have some fun all right for round ball ramble we are still doing our off-season content our deep dives or off-season reviews and i am excited humbled honored to have on just general NBA all-around columnist, analyst. You can find him on Forbes Sports. He does his own independent writing. His NBA previews come out, I think, the last – I've read for sure the last two years. But you've probably been doing it longer yeah. than that. <laughs> I'm about to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find him on Twitter at YoungNBA. Uh, let's not bury the lead. Shane Young, how's it going, man? It's going great, Corbin. I'm definitely uh, grateful that you reached out to have me on here. This is uh, this is awesome. I haven't done a podcast in a few weeks. So okay. definitely looking forward to that. I mean, the offseason has been kind of – I'm not going to say dead because there's been a lot of, you know, signings and there was a lot of free agents this year. I feel like, you know, half the league was signing somewhere. But but for me, just kind of taking the last couple months to decompress, not really doing too much kind of because, you know, I think for us, we put out so much content during the season that you need these two month breaks. So that's what I've been doing, man. How about you? Hey, you know, I've been trying to find that balance, man. I agree with you. Like, it's crazy to think about it. Wow we are coming right back around. Like once preseason comes, you really can't think about taking a break too much because you, you blink and the NBA season's back. So yeah, trying to find that balance of like, Hey, you know, I have this rush from summer league excited, but it's like, you know, pacing yourself. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get that right now, man. But um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Like you said, a lot happened this off season. A lot of yeah. teams are different. I was trying to do like the NBA tiers type thing just to kind of think it out. And it's like, this is going to be a very interesting year. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Like I was hearing like, now, oh, you know, you know, where player you tiers work. or team tiers. So team tiers, the player tiers, okay. the player tiers are, <laughs> that's a totally different um, conversation for me. I know we're getting, it's funny. We were, okay. So Twitter, you know, you get this like stage where you obviously are all in the NBA finals, right? And then yeah. draft Twitter is like a growing segment. And then all of a sudden, right after game six or seven, whatever, everybody is a draft expert. So then we all have that kind of going through. And then once that passes, you know, we're already doing free agency where teams should go. You have the 18 million fake loge bombs and, oh my gosh, all of that, you know, the scoops and all that. And then once that's done, we kind of get into, like, we do this every year and it's like a pattern, but like, I, I feel like a moth to like a light. Like I know it's going to happen and I still go to it. Okay, who are the top, you know, 100 players 50 players and you get some really yeah. good content from those who like really know their stuff you know like seth partner's tears are really good and like there's others who like okay i get that and then you get like myself i'll just i don't put one out. i'm giving an example but like somebody will just put one out and be like you know what 
Um, I have Russell, you know, I hate to say Russell Westbrook in vain here. Y'all know on this show, but I have him like 15th and I have SGA 12th. And, you know, LeBron played well, but he didn't play as well as like um, Chris Middleton because he's the real Batman. You know, you get these like random, let's just say fan conversations and that dominates like the rest of it. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. You know, like we're in this span where like, okay, preseason is just far enough that we can't really make any, I mean, come on, we can't really do any rational expectations on that you don't really see a whole lot of power rankings Mm -hmm. going on so it's like let's just talk about like what's happening right now and let's get all the hot take cannons out and let's do that and um navigating that field man it's 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 fun (laughs) yeah man i mean it's it's i think the all season especially especially whenever it's like you know three weeks away from the season which we are now which is or not i guess we're about a month but we're three weeks away from the preseason yeah it's kind of fascinating because you know it's it's like on the horizon, but you don't want to think about it yet. But then you ha- you you look at these rosters. You're like, oh man, these rosters are final. Like you know, the, the Lakers aren't going to be adding anyone else. The Clippers are, you know, they just got their 17th spot filled. I mean, it's like, man, the training camps are, are about to be set to go. Um, so you kind of do have to settle in and kind of do that. Um, one thing for me, I know I in or I don't envy you on this. Uh, I feel bad because the the tears. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like. For the top tier this year, there could be so many like uh, there could be there could be so many arguments about who deserves to be in there. Like for me, you know, like I feel like Brooklyn is, and maybe this is just like a hot take. I feel like Brooklyn is going to be running over the league this year. <laughs> so it's like if I was doing tiers, you know, it'd be hard for me to put anyone else in that tier, even the even the defending champ. So. Uh, I do not feel bad that uh, I'm not doing these tears because uh, people probably would not like what I have to say. Dude, I, <laughs> that's the thing. I don't. The sad <laughs> thing is, like, <laughs> it feels like no matter what you pick, right? Like, someone's gonna be like, "Wait, what? What about this squad? What about that squad?" So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Um, it's hard. I mean, I don't. The people who, again, when you put your preview, I'm sure gobbling that up. But like, when people put like their, their, they evaluate everything, they put their numbers out. You have people who have like stated research okay listen i've watched the games i have the numbers boom and we'll still be like nah man but did you even see like you know the back half yeah. of the wizard season whatever the case may be like there's always there's always that thing um but yeah i'm with you man in fact that's why i'm really excited to kind of get to a team that is in such an interesting spot um this, yeah. this season and that would be the clippers um last year i was one of them you know people were like oh yeah the clippers like we knew they were gonna be a good team as a lakers fan i feel like you <laughs> almost are like yeah but even unless if we're being really serious, the Clippers have been like a horrible matchup for the Lakers since literally since Lob City started. Um, but like, mm-hmm. especially since you've had like Kawhi and, and Paul George, like the Lakers just have not had a good matchup for that. But in general, you looked at Lakers, looked at the offseason moves they had. I definitely, definitely was way on board with Montrezl Howard. And I thought it was a more rational take because I saw him in the playoffs. I went, you know what? For the playoffs, like, yeah, he's not going to play. But for the regular season, he's going to be a great big boost. And he was, yeah, he was okay. He was okay. I, I, I think... That, that's what he was. And then the, the postseason, you know, obviously we saw what happened. The Lakers kind of self-destructed there. Meanwhile, the Clippers went to heights they have not ever reached in mm-hmm. terms of getting the Western Conference Finals and showing a lot of heart, too. Once they lost Kawhi, you know, they, you could have given any excuse in the book. You know, Paul George had had a great postseason, had a couple of rough games, but he came through. Terrence Mann stepped up. Reggie, Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum, like the whole team collectively really powered those Clippers. And if they had had, you know, a healthy Kawhi or, or a few more pieces, I mean, they, they might have made their first NBA Finals appearance. But, like, what was your personal recap covering the season from the very beginning for the Man. Clippers? 
you know, the highs, the lows, the you know, everything. What was your thoughts on on just how it ended or how how it how it ran? Let's say that. <laughs> how it ended. I it was one of those scenarios, Corbin, where I think the end result was I'm gonna say like exactly what I expected. Um okay. because it, you know, I I I'll take that back. I'll amend that a little bit. Like I, I thought they would make the finals. You know, I thought they'd make the finals when healthy, and I thought that from December. You know, December twenty second, opening night, I thought, you know, this team, this construction of the uh talent, I thought that was a finals team. Now I just thought you know, the talent level on Brooklyn and, and how they were going to be able to have these playoff, you know, dynamite ISO scorers where it was going to eventually end up being the champions regardless who got out of the West. I didn't care if it was the Lakers, Clippers, whoever. Um, but like the problem became all the highs and lows, as you said. I mean, it, I think the the ending journey or the ending, like the destination was where I kind of expected, but the entire journey to get there was all over the place. I mean – there are so many things that you just forget happened. I mean, you forget that, you know, Paul George had a bone edema injury that cost him like eight straight games in February. And, you know, the Clippers didn't fare well on that stretch. I mean, you know, it was just Kawhi and company and, and they kind of, they had a banged up uh, roster up and down the whole, the whole season. So it, it kind of was a replica of 2019, 20, where, they never could get more than 30 or 25 or 30 games with with like everyone that with everyone that people knew were going to be in the playoff rotation mm -hmm. together um but you know Kawhi and PG whenever they did play together had a really good record so you knew like okay as long as they stay durable as long as they are just you know kind of managing this regular season the right way you know uh then they were going to be in good shape and it's like, you know, one thing that one thing that kind of, you know, shot them in the foot was just bad luck. And I feel like that you could write an entire novel on Clippers history based off those two words, bad luck. And it wasn't it wasn't anything they did. I mean, they and, and when, when I say it's like a whirlwind of a season for them, you know, you have all the all the up and, ups and downs during the season. But then you get to the playoffs and it's like. Okay, we're going into a playoff series with Dallas, a team that no one really wants to see. I don't care who you are. I mean, because they have probably like the best twenty-two-year-old ever <laughs> on yes. the court, yep. and uh, and it's like you know your, your rotation isn't even set all the way. You don't have like a, a clear plan of of how many minutes Terrence Mann's going to play. Uh, you don't have a clear plan of is is Rondo who they just acquired. You know, like twelve games prior to that, is he going to be ready to go? And, and what kind of role is he going to be in uh, as this veteran guy that doesn't really space the floor? But but they they traded for him to be in those moments. So it it was a weird dynamic throughout that entire series. And I'll just remember forever, like, you know, going down 2-0 to the, to the Mavericks and that game three in Dallas when they were trailing 30 to 11. Shh. And you you kind of just in that moment, I remember because I wasn't in, I didn't go to Dallas. So I covered their home games. But um, I remember being on my couch when it's 30 to 11 and just kind of like smiling and laughing like, you know, well, this season's over like you know what, what team what team am i going to pick up the scraps and cover now during the yeah. playoffs you know am i going to go to phoenix <laughs> so um i i really did think in that moment that they were going to be toast but you know Kawhi and pg willed them back in that game three and and the rest was history i mean you 
you overcome not one, but two O2 deficits, one yes. to the Mavericks next to the Jazz, which we'll probably get into that matchup as well. And it's it, it the story kind of shifted. It's like, OK, this team that everyone, including Laker fans, especially Laker fans, thought was this front running team that was just destined to choke when times got tough. They did. They turned into the opposite. They turned into a team that would blow the first quarter just based off of not being ready, just based off of not knowing what defense they're going to run or just, you know, settling on three, a lot of threes and missing a lot of threes and, and being down 15, 20 in the first half and then coming back, storming back in a game, in a series and overcoming those deficits. Um, so I, I think it really kind of shifted the perception of this Clippers team from, and it, it might be for the, for the better, like it might be, um, the best thing that's ever happened to them in the long run, because I think if if they flame out against Dallas, I do think that Kawhi and PG like that that entire core would, would be back. I don't think they were gonna like jump off the cliff and do anything drastic, mm-hmm. but I do think like if they would have choked against Dallas and just lost in the first round, it would be you would not be able to recover from that in terms of uh, the fans' perception of you. So I think they really did good with their identity by by turning into that resilient team. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. They had a sort of – I was trying to think of like an NBA equivalent of their just relentless resolve, you know, and that fact that you could not put them yeah. away. Um, and the close I could find is like – I mean, it's been kind of spoofed on – um game of game of game of zones am i getting that right yeah um mm-hmm. but with the spurs like the greg pop spurs like the like a couple years back like they just would not go away and some of it they had this like I, I know okay so this was for me um against the mavericks you know luka Doncic was like on one and like you had and you yeah. noted this like super unsustainably hot shooting from the mavericks but like for it, it said it extended farther than i guess we both thought it would you know you had one great game okay fine two good games okay like this is really hot and you broke down the zones and everything but like game three it started the exact same when you're like okay maybe they're just gonna have like a series like that like you know the, yeah. the we believe warriors like were electric <laughs> in theirs you know they 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 wrote it out um and it felt that way but then you know the clippers and honestly and it's kind of it's it's something to like really behold but also scary uh, to see as well like Kawhi, man um yeah. Once he just started going, it was like, and it's funny, I used to kind of scoff at like the, oh, well, you know, Kawhi's less of like a Pippen comparison, more of like a Jordan comparison. It's like, mm, I don't know, like everything in your body just wants to go. No, not really. Even though when you watch him, man, like especially when he gets going and you can see it, game four, game five, like as it started building, it, it he, the way he took over, man, it, it, I mean, Paul George was just a solid, <laughs> but I mean, just, there's no words for like yeah. just how Kawhi just grabs it and what can you do? And you think about that. Okay, if we could just, you're not getting a stop this next one. Like, you know this. Like, of course. <laughs> it's something crazy, man. And and really, I think that that's a good, uh, that's a good little point to make and a little segue into Kawhi just himself because it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, people get up in arms about, you know, who you think the best player in the world is. And, and I kind of like, I think that series kind of helped me understand something. It's, it's like, I do believe now that just like this best player in the world mantra or, you know, the label we put on these guys that can change like quickly. And I, I do think like, you know, 
if you ask like who would you rather have out of anyone in the NBA for one season and playoff run, it's probably Kevin Durant. I mean, just because of the age and, and the seven foot height. I mean, it's just it's unguardable to a different level. Um, but like for one series, one particular series, I mean, Kawhi did like put his plant, you know, plant his flag on the ground and say like, hey nobody can do what I'm doing on both sides of the court here. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best to try to, you know, deny the switch when I'm guarding Luka Doncic and I'm not going to allow a switch on this possession. We saw a lot of that towards the end of that series. I think, you know, games four, five, and six, and seven, it was more so like they're, they're not going to give Luka those switches that he desperately wants. I mean, yeah. you know, so – so it kind of wore, wore him down in the half court quite a bit. And you could see, I mean, his fourth quarter shot chart and shot selection and, you know, efficiency, Luka Doncic was, was awful. I mean, he, he burned them alive in the first half and then just kind of ran out of gas. And I, I do give a lot of credit to Ty Lu. Um, I think Ty, uh, it, it's funny. It just now took us, you know, all this time to get to Ty, who was probably <laughs> the biggest, the biggest identity shift for the entire culture of the team yep. um, last year. Uh, so what a great hire by uh, Michael Winger and, and Lawrence Frank there. Yep. It's for me, when, when Ty is telling us in the media, like, you know, we're not going to overreact to this. I mean, Luca could drop 40 and three quarters and we're just not going to overreact to it because we just believe in team basketball. We believe that, you know, it, at some point, the other players, the other role players for Dallas, is they're going to cool off. You know, Chris Sportsingas, horrible series for him. Yep. I mean, just just not just not a great showing at all on on either end. Uh, did not assert himself. So, I mean, I think they believed, hey, like as long as we stay the course, you know, our, our talent is going to win out in that fourth quarter, and that's and that's what happened. I mean, Kawhi Leonard did not miss a shot in the fourth quarter for like the final three games of that series. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> It was stupid stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Corbin, like for me, uh, one thing that I think has, uh, has been beneficial to Kawhi's success in the last few years, including that Toronto year after he got hurt, um, I think his handle has gotten a lot better than it was like, you know, in 2016-17 when I thought he should have won the MVP. I think Kawhi has even be- has been better than that because yeah. it, his handle to like get into his jump shot or to cross over and, and really like – the sleight of hand. I mean, it, you, you look at him, he's so strong and big and bulky, but this dude has a fast and quick handle. It, you know, it, it kind of looks like KD on some instances when he's trying to, you know, cross over and get by someone. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think Kawhi really rose up another level. And, you know, people won't put him in the top tier of players probably because, you know, he's hurt and, and, you know, he didn't, he wasn't the lasting memory of the season that was Giannis holding the trophy. And yeah. that's fine. But I think for one series, <laughs> we saw what he's capable of. A hundred percent. You said, it. and that's exactly what I saw as well. Like in terms of his handle greatly improved. And that was an excellent point. His playmaking improved. I mean, we saw that not only just in the rise and like assist numbers, assist percentage, but just watching the games, like the guy was able to manipulate the pick and roll better than he has before, you know, going from making yeah. like the, the obvious read, like you probably saw in Toronto to, to more nuanced um, reads as well. And I mean, let's be real. You said it like, yes, yeah, so the lasting images, Giannis, we saw what Kevin Durant did in the, you know, Eastern Conference finals. Like we see these plays, but or semifinals, my fault. But like, what's crazy is that if you look at someone right now who you are terrified of with the ball in the closing minutes of a game, it's Kawhi. And he's also the same person where he stands alone that you also probably don't want sticking you. Even the best of the best, <laughs> you know, probably do not want to run into Kawhi Leonard at the end of games. And so, like, 
that is the one superstar that still takes both those boxes. You know, if you have Kevin Durant on you, that's not a walk in the park either, but he's not Kawhi Leonard on that end. And you're right. Like the inevitability, there we go, of Kawhi up until, you know, his uh, injury was just, it was, it was, it was scary. You know, a healthy Kawhi, I guess you could say it's for, well, I'd say maybe two teams, healthy Kawhi, we're probably looking at a different NBA finals, probably a different NBA champion, you know? You, yeah, you could see like, you know, you, you could watch the Suns against um, against Milwaukee in the mm-hmm. finals yeah. and kind of see how they didn't have anyone to really check a big forward. I mean, Jay Crowder is is that guy. Jay Crowder has been that guy against Giannis, but, I mean, let's be clear, he wasn't that guy in the, in the last series in July. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he, was that, he was that guy in Miami. You know, Mikhail Bridges, what, one thing I saw was – how skinny and still scrawny and, you know, not ready to really stop a guy like that. So I, I, I say all that to say, like, I don't think the Suns had a lot of answers to Kawhi, mm-hmm. especially if you had to throw, let's say, Mikel on PG or, you know, Jake Crowder on PG. Like, you know, that's still you're still leaving one other animal on the other side. And I think I, I think the, the Clippers would have beaten the Suns. I'm not going to say like easily, but, yeah. you know, I, I do believe it's probably like a tight five game series with Kawhi and, and it, it really does it really does suck you know to not to not see like you know quote unquote like the true um outcome or of what it could be um especially since the clippers pushed that suns team to six games you know pg having just a remarkable postseason and, and especially in, in those game fives i mean pg i mean i'm sure we'll get into it but it's like you know, the game five against Utah without Kawhi, like that very first game that they knew that Kawhi was out and internally the team knew that it was worse than what the media thought. Like the media, like we all kind of thought, because we weren't told anything. This is one thing you'll learn about the Clippers. Mm-hmm. They don't tell us anything about injuries. You have oh, wow. to guess. I mean, you ha- we have no timetable for Kawhi, which that's expected, but we didn't even know Ivica Zubats was, was like ready to go until he was working out the other day. I mean, because he sprained his MCL in that final uh, game against – or final two games against Phoenix. Yeah. So, I mean, we just don't find out that much about injuries. But um, for, you know, the team internally to know that Kawhi is going to be out quite a while and all that, all that like, emotional drain on you, PG to come out and do what he did in, in Utah for that game five, push that series, or, you know, put him up 3-2, I should say, mm-hmm. and then to do the same thing in Phoenix, like a, a carbon copy – in Phoenix to, to push that series to six. I mean, it was one of the gutsiest individual runs I've seen from a player, especially because he was leading the NBA in freaking minute totals. Yes. And people, you said that's a, people slept on that. Like the dude was exhausted. Like, okay. You know, last year he had, you know, it was a rough year um, between his own uh, relationship probably with Doc Rivers uh, you yeah. know, his, his up and down, you know, play, at least in the postseason, of course, the three off the side of the backboard that everyone brings up. I mean, I've done it as well. Like, yes, all of that yeah. was like emblematic of Paul George's like 2020 season. But I think people took that and ran with it throughout the entirety of this next season, even after he said, OK, I'm gonna let my play do the talking and did, Um, you know, he's catching flat from like the Suns early in the season, other players who like, were like, yeah, whatever. Like they just totally like, they don't like that dude. No, (laughs) exactly. Those games were fun though, man. But the disrespect of Paul George was kind of real in that. And it was like, okay, man, like there's a balance here. Like he didn't just turn into like garbage. Like the guy was played very well and not only do it all season, but like you said, the postseason, you know, he'd have really good games. He have games that were not so hot. 
I don't know what game it was that he missed two free throws, but um, it was game it was like, game game two. The value. There you okay. There you go. Thank you. Yes, there <laughs> there it is. And yeah. people are like jumping all. He's not like dude. Like, can the guy be exhausted? I mean, I mean, like, like I get, you know, the takes are funny, uh, whatever the case may be, but like, if it's not entirely based in true, and it wasn't like he just went up yeah. and fresh and just choked. No, the guy played basically every minute of that game. Every minute, uh, and if you look I, back on every minute of every game for the last month and a half, all I heard was he's an eighty-seven percent free throw shooter. Well, like, I hate to break this to you, but he's not an eighty-seven percent free throw shooter in the final minute of game. Uh, of the game of the fourth quarter exactly. whenever he's tired <laughs> exactly, exactly well you're you know you have a good you're on a good defensive matchup like i'm i doubt he's yeah. hiding on jay crowder you know like the entire time and then you're running the, the you're both the fulcrum of the offense for the clippers like you said there was a lot there and i guess that's the point i want to touch on like not only the i don't really want to say maturation of paul george i guess the the yeah I, I guess it was right like i'm trying to figure out the right word to say like he rebuilt it's- himself it's a different form of maturation because I think if you told a 31-year-old player uh, that he had to mature and he did, he would kind of sigh. He would definitely sigh at you and say, like, you know, I was mature when I was in Indiana. You know, y'all just yeah. weren't looking or, you know, you have a weird perception of what that word means. But it's like I, I do believe it's a certain type of maturity where you have to block out the noise. You have to not care. You have to completely disregard what people think of you, and that includes – your peers, your, you know, uh, opposing coaches, your own coach. I mean, you know, uh, fans specifically, I think one thing it kind of shot PG in the foot uh, and the bubble when he admitted, or I think it was actually, it, it might've been like a teammate. It might've been a teammate. It might've been Marcus Morris or, um, or Pat Bev. It might've been one of those that said like, you know, we had to tell PG to, oh, it was Jermichael Green to tell, we had to tell PG like not to worry about that, not to look at the internet, not to look at his phone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, to basically admit that you are on Twitter, you are looking at this stuff during a heated playoff series. I yeah. think that's, that's something that had to be shifted. I mean, you know, not to bring up LeBron, but it's like, no. you know, that is, what have we seen for years? Like LeBron don't care what you say about him in the postseason. He goes on that zero dark 30 thing, you know, it doesn't even open up Twitter. I mean, so I think, I think if you're a player that's a top 15 caliber player, which he is, sometimes he's top 10 caliber because he's that good. um, Then you, you cannot worry about that outside noise. And, and from like, like you said, man, from December 22nd, when they played the Lakers, he put up 36 on like 18 shots. It was an incredible first game of the season. Um, from that moment up until like, you know, that that series against Utah, it was just mouth shut unless he's responding to somebody like, you know, um, Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker, you know, call him names on the court. And, you know, yeah. he, P, PG is going to respond to that in the media, you know, if you ask him about it. But uh, I remember one of I remember one of our media guys asked him if if he has a good relationship or has a relationship with Joe Ingles when once they were kind of like, you know, going back and forth in yep, that series. And, and he kind of just yeah, he shut it down. And, and Paul said, I don't care about him. Next question. So, I mean, you know, taking cards out of those out of these veterans books and, and you know maturing for lack of a better way of saying it like i think he absolutely had to do that yep and, and speaking of that we, we touched on a little bit but i just want to also get back to um tyrone Lou. like you said uh and, and it's not to disrespect doc rivers uh maybe to disrespect rock divers for sure but like <laughs> you know doc came in at a time you know especially with um the donald sterling situation really helped the clippers get through that trying time really helped them kind of get you know 
I think just building their brand, rebuilding their brand is like the competitive team that is not just the team right next door, you know, from Staples, but like a really, you know, championship contender, whatever the case may be. But like 2020, I feel like he was, and I don't want to say this in a, in a too negative uh, light, but, but more or less actively destructive in the mindset of the Clippers, not being able to manage the locker room in terms of having, yeah. you know, blending the the old the old guard, you know, where you had um, Lou Williams, Montrezl Patrick Beverly with the new guys, Kawhi and PG, making it so that everyone was one goal, one accord, that they weren't, you know, I mean, actively sniping at Paul George after the season. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, there's no way other than saying that that's not cool. Um, that's Doc, Doc's, big, Doc's big problem and something that I don't think he'll ever be able to overcome. And, and I, I fear... I fear for Philly. It, once he develops the rapport, and once he develops like you know the um, the relationships in, in Philly, uh, and give it like three or four years if he's even still there, I think a problem is is that he has a has a very hard time not playing his guys, his guys that he loves. I mean, he, he coached Trez when Trez was really nothing, right? I mean, yeah. so. So that bond formed and, you know, the bond with Rondo, obviously, for years and years and years. And it's like once he has these tight knit bonds, you know, with Lou, uh, Lou Williams as well, like he's not going to go away from those guys. And and that was the big problem that Denver series, as you said. I mean, was Montrez completely at fault for them losing to Denver? No, it, it was. That's why the Lakers signing. You know, it was a good signing for the Lakers because he was good in the regular season. Like, he wasn't just okay. I mean, you know, you kind of said he was okay. I think he was really good for the Lakers in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, but you know that <laughs> – and, and I, I give credit. Here's the difference between Frank Vogel and Doc Rivers. Trez didn't play that much in playoffs. <laughs> you know? Um, so I think, you know, Doc has a hard time saying no to his guys, and that's the problem. No, I'm with you. Uh, that, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And, and- – it showed, like you said, it, you bring in someone that honestly, I feel like the Lakers had to shortchange, but that's a different story. You bring in Tyrone Lou, who not only comes with the culture, but you just know the type of guy he is. He's comfortable in and yeah. of himself. He's comfortable. I remember it's funny. Um, Allen Iverson in his Hall of Fame speech, um, he shout out Tyrone Lou, you know, good friends in there. He was saying that, um, <laughs> you probably heard the story, but saying that like after he had been trade after he'd done the whole step over Tyrone Lou. And um, that he went to um, Tyron Lue went to Washington and got paid. And at one point they were at the free throw line and they were kind of getting to a little back and forth. And, you know, Alan Iverson was like, listen, you know, I'm tired of you following me. Like we do it again. We're going to scrap. And Tyron was like, whatever. And then Alan Iverson was like, well, listen, man, like I'm the reason you got paid. Like if you hadn't been chasing me around, you would never got that contract. And Tyron Lue looked at him and was like, thank you. <laughs> like, like that's sort of like, like Tyron Lue is just such a guy that is like, he is aware of who he is yeah. as a person as a coach he's aware of what his team is and he's able to instill that type of culture where it's like we don't gotta worry about the outside noise you don't gotta worry about what's being said whatever if you're confident of yourself and what you bring to the table and as soon as he came in it was like that same jolt from an outside looking in myself it felt like that same type of okay this cooper seems different and not different in the way of okay doc rivers with more talent no like the mindset is different and you saw those role players all year long were engaged in ways that Again, on the outside looking in, it didn't feel like they were last year. Exactly. You, you kind of nailed it right there. And I think um, it kind of helped Ty Lue that he was next to Doc Rivers to see the meltdown. Oh. It, it helped that it helped that he was on the sideline uh, wearing his pink, uh, you know, polo shirt, as the Clippers did in that in the bubble, all those games and and lost. But um, it, it it helped that he was next to the chaos and. 
and saw what went wrong between PG and Trez. You know, those guys, those guys had a, had a rift. Uh, he saw what went wrong with Doc. And, and I think knowing that and, and kind of knowing what you can adjust on, because if they just brought in a brand new, if they brought in a, a, another coach that's Doc's, you know, around Doc's age and experience level, then it might have been the same ordeal, right? Um, so I think it was good that they brought in someone that kind of knew what not to do. And, Honestly, like, you know, just to be completely fair about it, I mean, I think Ty's playbook and his and his offensive um, philosophy is just a little bit, you know, it's different than Doc's. I mean, Doc is still that that old age guy. I mean, it's not like he's it's not like Doc's not telling these guys to shoot threes because Philly took a lot of threes around the spacing of Embiid and Simmons. But it but it's more so prioritizing that and prioritizing how they're going to play. I mean, you remember, I know, you know, being, you know, being a, a viewer of LeBron throughout the years, like you, you viewed those, those Cavs teams with the identity that they were a three point heavy team, because yeah. that's what it is that, you know, put LeBron in spread pick and roll, get out of the way or let Kyrie cook in isolation and create something. I think, um, you know, when Ty took over, he said, okay, we're going to reinvent the shot profile a little bit. The Clippers, uh, specifically Ty and Chauncey Billups, who's now the coach of Portland Trailblazers, it's it's a uh, it's like a slogan they have now. It's like, you know, drive, kick, swing. That's that's their yes. like motto now. Uh, even their summer league coach Jeremy Ca- Jeremy Castleberry is wearing shirts that says drive, kick, swing, <laughs> and that goes along with the whole point guard talk that we're going to get to. It's like. I think Ty specifically was was kind of of the of the idea that as long as we have people that get to the paint or get to the rim and don't have that much of a problem getting by guys, whether it's whether it's just in straight isolation or receiving a ball screen, you're going to force rotations. I mean, you can't tell me Paul George going to the rim is not going to force a rotation. You can't tell me Kawhi and his brute strength. Um, and mid-range ability is not going to draw help somewhere. So I think, you know, he was like, why do we need a point guard necessarily or, you know, someone to create that offense if it's going to be, okay, Kawhi and PG get to the cup, draw help. Oh, Marcus Morris wide open, the the best, one of the best spot-up shooters in the league. Like, that's what we'll take that every time. And yeah. um, I, I really do believe that, that Ty's offensive philosophy was to generate a lot more threes than what Doc Rivers did. And that helped. It did. I mean, that offense immediately got much more dynamic, much more explosive in ways that like, hey, you know, like, you know, Kawhi and Paul George like getting to mid range, but like they're both and have been for years. Very good three point shooters. You add that to the array of guys around you. You said Marcus Morris, especially in the playoffs, automatic from the corners, but just in general is just so solid. Yeah. Nick Batum, you go down the list. Pat Bev, we got to talk about him, too. Yeah. You know, what? let's actually <laughs> let's go. Into- There's so much Clippers talk that I yes. feel I feel so sorry that I'm that I'm making you cram this on one episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's all I appreciate. We got to. Yeah, you're right. I did not realize until we started really getting into it, like. Wow, it was not as easy as just like the regular season. Yeah, like you yeah. said, it was like three regular seasons and <laughs> <laughs> two off seasons. But let's um let's go into let's start with the off season. Um, specifically, I think something will not maybe breeze over, but like the draft. I think the Clippers kind of came in. I, for example, they weren't really on my radar at all in terms of yeah. who they might pick. But then they walked away with two guys specifically. Um, that I was intrigued by from the draft research I had done. Um, and Keon Johnson and, and BJ Boston. I was like, wait yeah. a sec, for the Clippers? Like, you know, those guys in general be, <laughs> would be cool. But, like, you adding that to to L.A., uh, um, that's in- interesting. What were your thoughts on those guys? Well, whenever they drafted Keon Johnson, you know, he'll be in Tennessee, you know, not too far away from here. That My family definitely watched a lot of SEC basketball. So, um, you know, that was 
that was something. And one thing that I, I think you know, and I think a lot of people will know, is I don't watch college basketball one bit. Oh, <laughs> so, <you>. so <laughs> it's a uh, there's no time to do it, man. There's no, no time. <laughs> so uh, for me, it's you know, it, it's the old thing of getting on YouTube, watching you know clips, and just seeing how they play their style. It's not it's not like you know make or miss. It's not if they if they are knocking down threes, which they always are going to be on highlight reels. But it's just you know the flow of the the flow of their style and how. Uh, how they make the reads and stuff like that. So um, I think Keon Johnson was interesting because one thing that maybe you can agree with too is that this Clippers team, not only are they old is such a such a weird word because they're not old. I think that's yeah. the Lakers now. That's the Lakers now. They're old. But the Clippers are getting there. So I think, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, what's the window for the Clippers? I think – you know, if if things stay the way they are now with this core that's in place, I, I think maybe three years they better win a title, or it's going to start getting murky. Um, so that's probably the window. But but I think what what the Keon Johnson pick did is is kind of give them a a defensive guy that uh, he's a defensive project to be honest. Like I mean, he's he's only going to be this year coming up. I think used in those purposes. I mean, I don't think Ty is going to play him unless you have ultra spacing around him and um it's it's like a a blowout scenario i just don't think he's gonna get that much clock but um i think you know being the defense first guy it's something they don't have like i mean you can't say i mean i guess nick batum is probably the guy but he's older right they don't have this younger guy that's just like a energizer bunny that is going to be you know a lockdown defender and we're not even saying keon johnson's is that but that's what he prides himself in that's what the scouting report was that it was like you know this defensive guy that that grew up loving Kawhi leonard that that wants to play like Kawhi leonard well you know Kawhi in his first couple of years like was just like a, a major defensive guy it wasn't yeah. a a sharpshooter wasn't a scorer or anything like that so i think getting younger and having that versatile defender that they could use, I mean, what's he, 1920? I mean, it's yeah. it's something that, you know, they have in their back pocket now. And if he doesn't turn out, then he doesn't turn out well. And at least they, they took a chance on a defense first guy because the, their defense was slipping. I agree. You're right. And you bring in someone, I mean, we've seen, I don't want to, Terrence Mann's a little older, but I'd say another younger guy in terms of like, maybe not getting a whole lot of minutes, but being put in the right role, having the faith in him and in, in moments. I mean, those moments turned yeah. into like sustained minutes and those minutes turned into like a, a given role. Um, And it starts mm-hmm. off that way. And so you're right. Like having that, that archetype of player. Yeah. I mean, his athleticism was something I was impressed with off the top. Yeah, and I think I think if you bank on that athleticism staying, and you bank on him not getting hurt, and then you bank on him um, just being this you know switch all defender, I do believe the Clippers internally uh, believe that they can fix jump shot issues. I think they can they they want to be. I don't think this is like their goal, but I think you know they kind of want to be the Spurs that okay, you you have a bad jump shot, like come here, we'll fix it because Ty Lue. He hired a lot of like the uh, a lot of like you know player development guys. Um, Sean Fine, who was leading the Nets G League team, uh, he went over to the, the, the Clippers this past year. So uh, Terrence Mann, his jump shot that everyone raves about, you know, yeah. shot forty something percent from the corners. He always credits Sean Fine for that, and and there are videos of you know Sean Fine talking about what they did to kind of like break down the shot. And I think um, you know. 
Kenny Atkinson was heading that department, you know, with Sean Fine, but Atkinson left for Golden State, I guess, to be like the, the top number one assistant. So it is what it is. And it, you know, I think, I think they still believe that, you know, Keon Johnson does not have a great jump shot. I mean, there's a little bit of a hitch. He did not shoot well from three during the summer league. It, at one point, he was like one of 15, and I, I had to shield my eyes. It was so bad. Um, <laughs> I, but I do, I do think that they, they are confident that that can change. Okay, most definitely. I, I, I'm with you on that. And then BJ Boston, I mean, he kind of came, with the best of my understanding, a little, I mean, I saw him a little bit in summer league. And, you know, summer mm-hmm. league, obviously, not a whole lot to kind of take away from that. You know, one, the basketball is just, Okay. Uh, I think I'm being, being pretty uh, bad. <laughs> there bad. we go. <laughs> I was being a little high saying that, <laughs> but yes, exactly. <laughs> and then also like you're putting these guys in positions that maybe they're not super great at, but kind of see, you know, it, it just, like I said, bad basketball, just trying to see kind of where they're going, yeah. what they can kind of be. Um, I, I think what we see from BJ Boston, maybe not really that much of a dribble just yet, but I think that like, like shooting, you know, I mean, well, he shot 37% from three, um, from like started off slow and then really improved down the yeah. stretch of the year. Um, I mean, having another guy that can kind of come in, probably not get a whole lot of minutes. I'm not really sure. Um, but in terms of someone who can come as a shooter and being young and, and possibly being able to kind of, you know, they say, what explore the studio space. Like that's another yeah. guy that is a really good find, I think for the Clippers. I think uh, maybe this is a hot take. I don't think it is because a lot of people were like, you know, raving about him. But I think BJ Boston will be their best out of these three rookies. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty clear cut. I mean, he, he's the most ready. Now, <clears throat> you bring up a good point that, or a good question rather, that you don't know if he'll get PT or, you know, time on the floor with these guys. And something that was funny to me, like, you know, when you're watching these summer league games, one of the commentators, I don't know who it was, but. I think it was like during the second game, Boston was doing a lot of good stuff. And, and someone on the commentated commentating team said, well, there are a lot of minutes to fill and a lot of positions to fill for, uh, you know, the Clippers this year. I'm like, I don't believe so. I mean, there's Terrence Mann there. There's Luke Kennard there. Like they, they want their time. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're scorers. You know, I think they want their time. So I don't see any, even with Kawhi out, like I just don't see much time if, considering you have Nick Batum that wants to play the four, you know, Morris that can play four or five, um, sometimes three if you want him to. Like I, I, I do believe that that uh, there's just not going to be a lot of on-court time for these rookies, Jason Preston, B.J. Boston, Keon Johnson, all three of them. But, but Boston does have the best combination and mixture of self-creating um, – spot-up shooting, you know, whenever he, he can let the offense dictate itself or he can let someone else do it and and break down the defense and he could be taking those open threes that the Clippers generated a lot of space from. So, I mean, that's going to help him a lot. Uh, but I, one thing I was impressed with or pressed by, I'm not sure if you were too, but mm-hmm. his ability to, I'm not going to say like, you know, Kawhi-esque, but like his ability to kind of like get to his spot that he was pointing out, like get to that yeah. elbow and pull up. <laughs> With with ease, and I think his lanky arms, his his height, his speed, that that package that he has, I think in like six or seven years, like he's going to be this guy that can just you know off the dribble, one two dribbles, pull up in the mid range, and I, I was impressed to see that. No, I definitely saw a little bit of what you're talking about for sure. And you, you're going with some, like you said, he's Kawhi-esque. You're going to learn potentially from one of the best to yeah. do that in terms and just by development too. Like, yeah, like. That's going to be something you said a couple of years. I mean, wow. His, 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 his form, like his, I don't want to say archetype, but like what he is a player, like you can definitely see that in him. Yeah. So I and, think that is exciting. 
one of Boston's biggest downfalls. I'm not even sure if it's like a downfall. It's more so like a question mark right now because we haven't seen him play NBA minutes. Is can he finish near the rim? I mean, is he? Because I think he shot like 40% on layups at Kentucky. I really do believe it was like 35, 40% on layups. And that's awful. For college basketball, I understand that the spacing is atrocious and it's, it's kind of understandable that you wouldn't have room to kind of finish or, you know, you would always be in traffic. But I do worry that, you know, if, if a rim protector, you know, just a, a moderate rim protector, not Rudy Gobert or anything, but, you know, s- someone slides over to help defense at the rim, I, I, I fear that he just won't be able to finish. Yeah, and that's something you're right. Like, definitely gonna have to need some growth there for sure. I didn't even realize it was he's that little. Bad. He's really skinny. So yeah, and you're right. Can be thrown off. You're, like having that the body control of not okay. This is where I'm gonna get to, and not maybe being knocked off course as easily as you know it looks like he is. You know. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. But and, and uh, you're not uh, getting calls, and you're not getting goals calls at 19 years old. Oh so. no way. That's <laughs> that's another thing too. Yes, for sure. And so I guess from that, I mean, intriguing piece in the draft for sure. And now we, I mean, going into just retaining players and players brought in and lost. I'm going to run through it all. We can kind of go in and there's so pick much. Up. There is exactly. I'm like, if I break it out, I feel like some of them are like directly related to others. I'm talking about Jackson got to bring up, of course, you know, the new point guard for the Clippers and this is, I'm just going to go into it. So um, yeah, yeah they, they re-signed and all these, of course, Kawhi Leonard, that's a point on its own, just in terms of the years. I'm, I mean, you would kind of talk about that, but Kawhi Leonard brought back Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum um, who were, who were lost unfortunately for in my opinion Patrick Beverly um DeMarcus Cousins hasn't come back no news on that um Patrick Patterson uh just signed a thing a trading camp deal with the Trailblazers uh and then Rajon Rondo we'll talk about him as well and then who they added aside from um Justice Winslow and their rookies uh really Eric Bledsoe and so I I guess I want to throw it all to you having laid that out kind of by order of like where you want to attack it um, because some of it was like pull one thread and you're kind of pulling another here. What do you kind of want to talk about first here? Because it's it was an interesting offseason considering. Yeah. I think, you know, if you like just based off of names or reputation, I think they should probably get like, you know, like a B plus or A minus just just based off like what they've done on paper. Now we'll see if that plays out though that way. But I think, you know, something that stuck out to me, a couple of the moves, actually a lot of the moves. Uh, other than like the Batum resigning, which you, you kind of had to do because yeah. he gives you so much intangible wise in the locker room. Everyone loved him. Not one player has anything like bad to say about him ever. <laughs> no. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I think it was a youth movement and <clears throat> use that term kind of loosely because this team's still older. So, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, your, your main guys, your main high usage guys in the playoffs, if Kawhi returns, which we'll get to like that, that's still going to be an older age team, uh, and you're going to close out with veterans. But I think giving more usage slash opportunity slash you know minutes to Luke Kennard, that's that's to me. If you want to point to something, that's the big winner of free agency. It's Luke Kennard, even though he was already signed on his sixteen million dollar year to deal. What people uh-huh. criticize, you know, yeah. I I think it's a little overpay as well. He is going to have the opportunity to live up to that now. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have that opportunity in the Dallas series. He didn't have that opportunity through much of the regular season. You know, he had a few like great moments that stuck with people, specifically against Atlanta when he, he like, you know, fiercely stormed back and, and knocked down like six threes in that game or something <laughs> to, to kind of help them out and help yeah. them win when they were down 20. Um, but, you know, he didn't have 
the on-ball opportunities. He was mainly just like it uses a spacer. So I think, especially with Kawhi out, man, like this guy is going to eat up a chunk of, of shots, and he should. I mean, I've never seen a guy that is like a 45% three-point shooter, which he was like, you know, for, for large stretches of this past year. I've never seen a guy like hesitant to shoot or worried that that – you know, he was going to be pulled or worried that it would, it would come off as selfish because you have all these other creators and, and, and shooters there. He was kind of hesitant for most of the year, and Ty Lue kind of got pissed off about it. It was like, <laughs> hey, just just like, we're, if we're not going to play you if you're not shooting because you're a defensive liability anyway, right? Yeah. So it's like you have to come in and shoot. So I think all these pieces, uh, you know, going out, Pat Bev going out, you know, Rondo going out, I think, you know, this clears the way for Luke and Terrence Mann to, to kind of just get more opportunity, which they needed to do. So the youth movement, giving the ball to your guys that were already under, under contract and, and guys that you need to see growth from. And also, you know, just kind of retaining the core. And that's what they needed to do. I mean, I, I you know, I love Pat Beverly as, a, as like a, a person and player. I mean, I think he's awesome. But is it going to make or break the Clippers for him to go? I, not if you're bringing in Bledsoe for one year guaranteed. I mean, next year is not even guaranteed. So yeah. it could just be like a one-year expiring type thing. So I, I, I don't have really any qualms about what they did in terms of like the guard rotation. No, I'm, I'm with you. I see exactly where you're coming from. I mean, for me, I it was weird. When it first happened, I'm just not high on Eric Bledsoe. I think that's put my own personal player bias like aside. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, I mean, I did not like his fit in New Orleans. I think that him even going back to Milwaukee, like, yes, a very solid point guard even from back then, but just his flaws are obvious, you know? And I mean, just on the offensive yeah. end, at least, and not being, at least in my mind, like that kind of point guard. I don't know, like a better defensive kind of change of pace guard. Um, but to lose Pat Bev at first, I was like, wow, like that was kind of the last and I again, yeah. it, it took me a little more thinking to like think, okay, well, Ty Lue's presence in a way is like its own kind of continuation of the Clippers' identity. But like that was the guy. Like you know, losing you know Lou Will was was rough. Especially I think you even said, or not you meant said, but like when losing Lou Will for Rondo, who was I don't want to say the antithesis of that, but was totally different in terms of having a guy who was like yeah. you know just trying to stay home and and be that guy and bring in Rondo, who's kind of at this point you know point guard mercenary in terms of like he's gonna go around. Um, and you lose another piece of that culture in a way that was different than Montrez, but now you lose Patrick, and it's like that really is like that last little like link there. But yeah, to be fair, you know injuries had hit him so much so consistently, especially this past season that I don't know if, like you said, is it that big of a, you know what I mean? Like half the time he wasn't there anyway, I guess. Right. Yeah. So one thing about the, about the Beverly trade that um, I think a lot of people understood at the time, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of like overlooked. I think Mm -hmm. is that I I do, I do kind of feel as if the Clippers made that trade based off of, this coming year it wasn't like a we believe you know Bledsoe is a better fit for Kawhi and Peachy and Marcus Morris and these guys than Pat and it's not like you know we we don't understand that that Pat really did help out a lot in that Phoenix series in that Utah series kind of like stifling Donovan Mitchell you know I don't know Donovan went off and stuff but like you know stifling Clarkson towards the end of that series and yeah and then um you know Devin Booker I mean he he got he had fits with Bev uh, they still won the series, but he definitely had fits with Beth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I think more so, it was an availability trade. If you 
if you understand and you acknowledge that that Beverly is only going to play, let's say, I, I think I had, the, I can't really bring up the numbers now, but I do believe it was like, you know, uh, 70% availability or worse, like maybe 60% availability over the last three years. Yeah. Um, it might have been lower than that, but Bledsoe's availability since, you know, 2016 is like 91%. I mean, you yeah. know, <laughs> speaks for itself. And that's kind of funny how someone that tours meniscus in Phoenix, if I'm correct on that, mm-hmm. and then did some, you know, he's had other little injuries, Bledsoe. Um, for someone to bounce back and be available for the last like three or four years consistently is kind of remarkable. It, it's a good thing that that's happened. It, I think, you know, the, the Clippers, you know, Lawrence Frank looked at it and said, you know, it, if if Kawhi is going to be out, you have to get a an innings eater. You have to get someone that is going to just fill the minutes. And let's just say, you know, Beverly does have knee issues, which he's had every year for the past three years. Yeah. Like, if that's going to be the case, that's one roster spot, one guy in the rotation that's not on the court. So I think, you know, they're just banking on Bledsoe being there and, and kind of eating up those minutes and, you know, getting to the rim more than Beverly, which he does. And I, I think we both agree the shooting is is drastically worse with, you know, with Bledsoe compared to Beverly. Uh, Beverly's a really good shooter, especially spot up in the corners and stuff. But mm-hmm. but getting to the rim is something that they kind of prioritized, as we yeah. mentioned in the show, drive, kick, swing. Um, I, I think Bledsoe breaks down the defense more than Beverly. Yeah, no, I, you know, you make up a good point. I, I do have to agree in that. In terms of one, yeah, having he, I think he tore it first in um with the Clippers actually. Um, Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it happened again, uh, or did it again in Phoenix. So yeah, you said it. Like he's had a few, and yet he's still. I mean, physically, the dude is built. Like you know, he's like you said, having yeah. that that force from this game to run, that sort of thing. And yeah, frankly, being more available than Beverly for sure. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm excited to see Beverly put his own imprint on on Minnesota. I mean, he kind of bounced around. To be fair, like <laughs> he he was the kind of guy people made fun of him, but I thought it was hilarious in like a really good way. That like he was ready for whatever. You know what I mean? I think you could say that on the court, but I think you say off the court too. He's going to Memphis, all right, grit and grind. Going to Minnesota, let's make it happen. You know what I mean? Like he's just like just caught on like that which was kind of neat um but yeah you bring in someone in blood who's going to be healthy and i think especially with not having a Kawhi having a, a playmaker in that way even if he's not like as good one or i'd say that's a good one but not as good a shooter is mm-hmm. is good to have um aside from that your losses i guess this is where we have to talk about rondo because he's the only notable loss i like the marks cousins i thought he had his moments with you guys um or with the clippers about the but- only thing he did was dunk on dario sarge so hard that the arena just went silent for about a minute <laughs> Dude, that was so. that was bad yeah that was true <laughs> but but like at this point it's sad to say i feel he's in that same boat with isaiah thomas for me just on the grinder nba landscape where like they're just like i don't want to say bet players in a in a negative connotation but like they're they're i'll say replacement level let's just say that as a better yeah. way of saying like if he's there great but he's not making that many moves if he's not there great but that's fine you know like He's not a major loss. I guess you could say, say the same thing for Patrick Patterson. He'd been on with the Clippers for a bit, but I don't think his role was as huge last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Just kind of, you know, a situation. Nah, he was, he's all, Pat, or Pat, Pat. I, that's what I call him, Pat, Pat. <laughs> Pat, he's, he's always been used as this guy that, uh, th- that's kind of like just a situational guy that, you know, Doc would throw him in weird lineups because he wanted a floor space in five or, you know, he, I always viewed him as this injury replacement, this reserve guy, because there was one game in Miami. Uh, I was there. It was, it was January 24th, 2020. Um, so like 
during the first season of Kawhi and PG. Uh, but it was just Kawhi. PG was out that night and, and everyone was out. I mean, the, you know, the zoo, I think Zubots was out. Everyone was just not playing. And, and, uh, I think Pat Pat hit like six, hit like four or five threes and kind of just kept them in there and, and was like, you know, uh, really good for them in the moments that they didn't have everyone. But if everyone's healthy, he has no purpose. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And that's, and that's kind of exactly where he's at. And it was weird. You're right. Now that I remember seeing him, it was like some odd lines, but it, it rarely happened to be honest that I, you know, and again, for me, I'm not saying, oh, I was a Clippers guy at all. It's like, you know, a decent yeah. amount, but like you could see where he was and the kind of player that he's been. So I'm with you on that. We'll see if he kind of let, sticks around in Portland. But I guess this brings us to Rajon Rondo, um, which I was excited to really get to talking to you about because you were like, I said, one of the few that were like consistently fighting that fight. A lot of people said their, their piece um, <laughs> and then kind of just, you know, either left it at that or came back at the end and circled back. But like you talked about this for a second, man, about, hey, I mean, I want to say for two years, second being relative mm-hmm. here, about how the Clippers don't need point guard help. They are solid. Like, yes, like, if you're trying to make, like, improvements on the team, do not look at point guard. They are fine. And you kept bringing that up. And you kept bringing that up. And then, yeah. like, R- playoff Rondo happened for the Lakers, and all of a sudden, Rondo was that guy. Oh, my gosh. You know, there was rumors about him um, being looked at from the Clippers <laughs> to begin with, and you were like, again, we don't need him. We don't need a point guard. Then it finally happens. You trade Lou Will to make that happen. Um, What? That was... I want to say midseason, right? Yeah. That was um, March 20, March 25th before they played in San Antonio. Oh, my goodness. And you bring yeah. him in, and there's all this talk about – I mean, again, he has – Rondo Rondo comes with the name cachet, comes with, you know, the winner, vet, all the stuff that I'm not saying is inaccurate. I'm just saying, like, that's what he came with. And yeah. then I'm just going to let you take it away from there. Like, what was the rest <laughs> of the Rondo experience? Well, you know, this, I think this phrase has been used quite a few times, but, like, they got playoff Rondo in the regular season. And they got regular season Rondo in the playoffs. I mean, that's just that's what happened. And 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 you know, you're not going to agree with this, but it's like <laughs> I I I believe I I don't believe that playoff Rondo is a thing. Like, I just no. think it's all BS. I think it's BS. Like I, okay. I just think like you know he he plays well in certain moments in certain playoff series. I mean, I think the fact that the playoff Rondo premise came to be after. Oh. After one series against, after two games against uh, Boston, mm-hmm. and whenever he was on the Bulls, you know, with yeah. the three alphas with Wade and, and oh Jimmy, my gosh, like, what a cl- you know, the fact that that was, that that's what stemmed it. And then he had one good series, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think I am, one good series in New Orleans yeah. against Dame Lillard, right? Portland, yeah, Portland, yeah. It's like, why are we using two games of, of, data points to kind of just say this guy's way better in the playoffs than than ever than ever before i mean there are equally as many data points to say like this guy sucks in the playoffs because we've seen uh the dallas experience we saw a couple you know back in his younger days we saw um a lot of good boston rondo but i mean that that's just a different player he's not the same player as he was then um and then the, the lakers playoff run he was he was good that playoff run what I take issue with is people. I hope I really hope you weren't one of these people. I, uh-huh. I take issue with people saying like he was their third best player. Oh no! I mean yeah, that was KCP. That, yeah, KCP shot like sixty yeah. percent. Like it was like yeah. it, it was absolutely KCP or someone else. I mean it was not Rondo, and no. um, that's where a lot of the you know building up his his reputation and he's a lot like these other players that have these fans that are just, you know, they make their own Twitter accounts with, with his Avi or his picture as their Avi. And it's just like, I think that 
I think that people just clung too close to him. And, and whenever they got uh, Rondo for Lou Will and it cost them two second round picks, right. To Atlanta, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more so did, was this really necessary? And I think the, I think the big argument that you can see a case for and that has a point is that trading Lou it opened up the minutes for Terrence Mann and, and Lou and uh and Luke Kennard and you know everyone else, yeah. specifically Terrence Mann to go off in the playoffs like he did. Um, but my thing is, you know, we just got done talking about Ty Lue and you know I think everyone in Clippers Nation, everyone like you know that covers the team, has acknowledged like Ty Lue's a really smart coach. Are you telling me that if Lou Will was struggling, that he wouldn't bench Lou Will? I think he would. I think he would have benched Lou Will. Yeah. So just like he benched Rondo, I mean, people people don't understand that. I think they do. They just kind of like don't think about it. But Ty Lue and Rondo are close, really close from Boston. I mean, they they had a couple of years together, a few years together when Ty was on the bench next to Doc, and you know they they still have a good friendship today. So it's. It's one of those situations where I just didn't think it was necessary, and he played really well right out of the gate. I mean, there was a couple games, you know, against uh, there were one against Phoenix that he really helped them win, and then again Portland. It seems like he always kills Portland for some reason, but yeah. <laughs> um, he he did well right out of the gate there, and and so Rondo shot well in the regular season, got to the foul line uh, more times than he did in Atlanta, which was hilarious considering the sample size of games. <laughs> Uh, he just did not. Rondo did not care one iota about the Hawks. I, the fact yeah. that he went there was kind of <laughs> it was just a money play. It was a money, it, um, it, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it was sad to think about yeah. retrospect. Like, bro, you got the money and then you just yeah. said, "I did it." Exactly, but you know, I think the biggest thing that that we saw from the Rondo experience was the 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 shooting and the the belief that the shooting was going to last the belief that he was going to be the same guy just because it's it, it the the calendar turns into the playoffs and that that's what he's going to be um against Dallas unplay i mean for for majority of the series unplayable because he did not make a lot of shots did he kind of like turned down a lot of shots too i mean you know if you're going to be wide open there if you're going to be given the opportunity because Rick Carlisle which is hilarious, does not respect you, which he did not, then it's like, you know, take the shot, make them pay for it. He just didn't so many times. It really blew up their spacing. And then against, you know, Utah didn't have any place in that series. I mean, just getting cooked off the dribble. I mean, the defense was so bad. Um, his lay- he, he shot like seven of 18 on layups in the playoffs. I mean, that's not the Rondo I know. No. You know, the Rondo I know finishes with ease, with grace. Yeah. Um, so I, I was kind of just stunned at how it flip flopped, how he was good out of the gate when he had no chemistry with PG and Kawhi, no chemistry with any of those guys, except for DeMarcus, mm-hmm. um, or, and Patter, Patterson. Uh, and then he goes into the playoffs when he has more time to gel and just craps the bed. You, you kind of, I mean, you did the perfect summation of the Rondo experience, just as a player. And I think like his Cooper's experience, cause I'm with you. I love Again, the fan of me is like, oh, yeah, playoff Rondo, this and that. But, like, having watched, I'm sure you did as well, like, every game of that, you know, 2020 Lakers run, um, mm-hmm. you know, playoff Rondo, if you look at the stats it, as a whole, I think it went from, like, seven points and four assists in the regular season, like, eight points, six assists. He shot, like, 32% in the regular season from three. He shot, like, 40% in the playoffs. Like, yes, like, if you look at the numbers, yes, they picked up. And if you look at some of the games, you know, notably um, game six of the finals, like, he had a great game. Um, he had some, I yeah. think he had an impact game against Denver. But, like, as a whole – 
you're right. Like the playoff Rondo is kind of built off of, it's like the TNT Bulls. It's like built off of a couple <laughs> of, <laughs> it's a couple of good performances. And then you just, you know, um, I, I guess not so blatantly, like turn your head for the, the eggs that he does lay. And then you go back when he has a big game and then playoff Rondo. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, like that's exactly what happened. He had some, he had some games that he at best did not make an impact for the Lakers. And at yeah. worst, like, was bad um but all we remember all we choose to remember us Lakers fans whatever the case may be is all of the stuff that you know hey we won the ring and he did all this so I'm with you on that and the fact that you were to say in my mind I feel like there was like some smoke some fire he wasn't actively horrible in the 2020 regular season he had his moments you know with the Hawks Mm -hmm. he he, I don't remember having a moment like he was pretty bad and so for him to say okay I'm gonna wake up and and play for the Clippers like ideally you want that to happen but like one that either a doesn't speak about him as a person just saying hey i just totally laid an egg for a team that isn't going to win and now look at me and then also coincidentally look what happens when lou wood gets over there yes there was a lot of other factors that came into play but the hawks had tremendous success i mean they both were in the conference finals right like yeah. you know so and it, it like you said you, you gave a good point about it i think it was just the fact that they they made a move that you said they, they didn't have to it turns out that you were indeed correct they didn't have to um and then they let him go because he wasn't like do you really want to go through the Rosamondo regular season experience yeah, I mean, knowing what he is they traded for him knowing that he had nine million guaranteed for next year or for this coming year yeah. or eight million I think and it's summer. like yeah and you're giving up picks to do that so it was just it was so it was so bizarre but but we we knew the reason what mm-hmm. the reason was that Lawrence Frank is like you know close with Doc and and that and that, that I'm telling you, it's all about relationships. I think I really do believe that it's, you know, it was more uh, built on Rondo's reputation and sure, sure enough, like Lawrence Frank in his first, uh, you know, when he introduced Rondo, which you're supposed to do, you're supposed to like, you know, prop, prop up the guy you traded for, but you know, calling him all these names, like, you know, this veteran, you know, leader and, you know, just, you know, basically just saying that this is exactly what the team needed. And, and all of us kind of like rolling our eyes because, you were the second you had the second best net rating in the west i believe without him i mean it's like your offense which i can't believe we just now got to in terms of like the specifics but <laughs> yeah. but the offense like was second in half court offensive rating all year to brooklyn wow. for, for for most of the year when harden wasn't there you you know before harden got there they were first the clippers had the best half court offense in the league and then harden got there to brooklyn and obviously took it over because what do you can do with that exactly. um but but you know for the clippers to shoot 40 percent from three on high volume something that golden state's only done one or two times um for them to play the pick and roll the way they did and and my i'm curious what your what your input on this is or what your viewpoint on this is mm-hmm. um a lot of the response that i got on twitter whenever i criticized the trade immediately on march 25th was you know i said like if you're going to have the ball in rondo's hands because that was a lot of clippers fans argument it's like we need to get PG and Kawhi easier shots. That was always the sentence you heard. Yep. They need to get easier shots instead of working so hard for it in the shot clock. That's all. That's all I heard for months. Um, the biggest thing for me is in the playoffs. Are you are you going to want Rondo running pick and roll over and over? Like, are you going to want Rondo holding the ball for you know, let's just say, fourteen seconds of the shot clock, and then PG and Kawhi maybe getting it back? Or do you want PG and Kawhi setting screens for Rondo, which I think could work well, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think Kawhi and PG want to do that. 
I think if the ball is going to ultimately be in Kawhi and PG's hands, then what's the big deal about it starting in their hands? That was my thing. It, it made sense. I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone at the time, of course, when you're swept away in the Rondo mania and everything, nobody wants to hear that. But the logic is sound in the sense of like, okay, right now, you can even go back a couple of years now from like, who would, who would you trust with the ball in his hands more? Right. And you line those yeah. guys up. Rondo's coming in last and that's not it's just you trust PG you trust Kawhi to make the better decision either what they can't make up in IQ in terms of okay I missed this open guy I missed this right here <laughs> they can make up and okay I'll just put the ball in the basket because that's the goal you know like they will yeah, find it, a way to do that it was almost as if Corbin that they, that a lot of people wanted Rondo and Zoo or Rondo and Serge if he was healthy which <laughs> They're, we oh, haven't even gotten man, to that. I mean, they, oh my it, it's crazy. I mean, there's so much crap with this team that, that yes. you need two episodes. But do, um, <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like they wanted Rondo and a center to just run pick and roll like 20 times a game and 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 make PG and Kawhi spot up. That's mm-hmm. almost what it felt like. The sentiment was that 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 people thought they needed. But I think you know to prop Rondo up to give him his props here. Um, something I know that's so rare me, right? To, to give him props, but <laughs> something that he did so well that I thought the Clippers absolutely could have done more with him is make him the screener. Mm-hmm. I think in Game Three against Dallas, we saw, and I'm I'm, I'm already on record with this. If they don't have Rondo, they don't win Game Three against Dallas. Therefore they go down 3-0. Therefore they lose the series. So that is a little, that's a little complicated when you talk about Rondo's, uh, you know, performance for the Clippers or his impact, I should say. Um, so was he impactful? Yeah. For a, a stretch that was very important, but then nothing after that, <laughs> you know, yeah. he didn't, he did nothing after that against Phoenix. Surely not. So um, I think when he sets screens, it made Dallas, it made any defense for that matter, kind of like think for like, you know, five seconds or just two seconds. Like, what do we do? Do we do we switch this and or do we do we blitz Kawhi and make Rondo handle on the short roll? And that's what Dallas did. They blitz Kawhi over and over in that fourth quarter of that game three. And, you know, it, it was either game three or game four. It was game three. And then Rondo caught the ball. And made plays, pass out to Marcus Morris for a couple threes, you know, pass over to Reggie Jackson on the wing, just one pass away, um, you know, kind of hit Kawhi back and, and let him go when he gets that double off of him. So I think I think they could have used Rondo more as a screener to make those decisions. Instead, it's like the fan base wanted him to have the ball, which didn't make sense. No, we were. it was like mixing up like prime Rajon Rondo from like 2013, 2014 with like this weird it was a misevaluation i think from the fan perspective and even outside guys i i'd say like myself to a certain extent i was kind of past that train, i'd say the front the i'd before. say the front office i'd say the front office as well and that's the oh, crazy yeah. part about it you're right because they have the kind of the front row seat on how it works and and you said you think it is like you said probably more relationship driven i mean they talk themselves into it so i guess that only goes so far right like yeah, okay we I, like them but like that doesn't make sense i to made us. a I shouldn't have made a tweet, but I did back in the day or on that day. I, I was like, man, the Clippers front office just got bullied into making this trade. I mean, I really did believe it was like, you know, all the all the screaming and hollering about the point guard. I mean, honestly, man, you could just go, you could uh, Twitter search Clippers mm-hmm. point guard uh, all throughout that season. And every game, at least like 50 people would say, man, Clippers need a point guard. Clippers need a point guard. When are they finally going to get a real point guard? And <laughs> 
that's where I always make fun of the real point guard thing, right? And mm-hmm. and I do believe, like, you know, you, you hate to say this because it's like, you know, the people that run the front office, like, they make their own decisions. I mean, it's they're not influenced by these people, but I do believe, like, there is some aspect of it. It's like, huh, people seem to be clamoring for a point guard. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they kind of did some crowdsourcing and went, you know what, let's – Let's let's do that. Why not? And yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help either. It doesn't help whenever you go on, you listen to these podcasts or or uh, I think the the national debate shows like a oh undisputed gosh. or first take. It doesn't help when you listen to those, which you should never do. And then <laughs> and then they always say you you hear these prominent voices talking about how they need Rondo. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know that they watch like a grand total of like one and a half games, like over two years. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they probably watched like a blowout loss here and a really big win there. And they said, you know what? In both cases, I saw we exactly. Yeah. You said it. And that's why, yeah, I'm, I've been done with those shows. Thank goodness. The, uh, yeah. The big, the big game that did it though, man, was the, I, I don't know if you remember. If don't, if you don't, just go back and kind of look at it later. But okay. um, the Bucks Clippers game in Milwaukee. I uh, believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was February 1st or March 1st, one of those games. Um, yeah, tell me if I'm right about February 1st or March 1st. I forget which it was. But... Dude, the fact that you even got the dates is impressive to me. I'm just, <laughs> just going to say, it's I'll one be of like those... last year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was one of those dates. But uh, they, so the Clippers kind of fell apart at the end of that game and took a lot of bad contested jump shots. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it stemmed from was, Man, like they really could use someone to facilitate in these situations. Mm-hmm. And the problem be the problem was actually mixed up misdiagnosed. The problem was actually that Kawhi and PG just ran pick and roll amongst themselves together and they were running stupid offense and getting Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo to switch with each other, which creates no advantage whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So the problem was just calling up the wrong person to screen. It could have been, you know, Kawhi and a guard, which Ty Lue loves his guard guard screens. Um, or it could have been Kawhi and a big to kind of go at Lopez or Portis, wh- wh- whoever they had on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that game right there is what triggered and set it off. No, you nailed it. You nailed it. It was a game in February. It was a five-point Bucks win, um, and the Bucks yeah. were on like this big run um, to to rally late. Yeah, you said it. And down the stretch of the, you, you pretty much nailed it. Just definitely check that out, y'all. Um, but that was what it was. Uh, the the Bucks just kind of storming back, and it basically Leonard and George carried the Clippers in the first half, and then like a Bakken and Williams helped in the second half, and then things fell apart last four minutes. So basically, which I I guess you could see you could see. Um, that being like the lightning rod of like, okay, let's bring in a guy who can like settle us down yeah. and not look at the evidence, like, <laughs> you know, kind of serving before that. Yeah. And that's right before, man, like that February stretch, mm-hmm. that was right before they got into that stretch where PG was hurt too. I mean, it, so February was just a bad month for them, but, it, but luckily, you know, for them, it was, a, it was their only rough month. Yeah, that's so. true. I mean, they play well, man. We've been, Wow, this has been a show and a half. Like you said, next time we, we, we do this, I, I, I do think <laughs> well, two shows. What's good? <laughs> you you don't want to say all this like mid podcast, but like it's really easy to talk basketball with someone that knows what they're talking about. So I mean, thank, thanks for having me on because like it, it, it for me like it it helps that you're a host that's knowledgeable about it, right? Thank you, man. Definitely, I I, I appreciate that. I'm about to say having a host that knows like I mean having a guest like. Clippers through and through like you has made it so much more insightful, not only from like, <laughs> okay, I watched them and I can tell you like, okay, this, this, and this, but like, I mean, you pulling out games by the dates. Like. <laughs> no, <Nah, I, laughs> I'm so not, bad. I'm not usually like that. I mean, yeah. last season was just so weird that I feel like I, 
I feel like it's going to be ingrained with with us forever. Like I, I really do believe that like we'll always look back on these you know games without fans and mm-hmm. and that'll never happen again. Probably. I mean, it might not ever happen again. So yeah, that's you true. know, it, it's fascinating. I mean, <laughs> do you want to touch on the surge stuff and then the bigs? I, I feel like we have to. Yeah, we we already okay. here. We got we got to do, do surge and the bigs, and then we can kind of like um maybe kind of look on a whole moving forward. But yeah, let's, let's okay. talk about that because surge was such a. Oh man, he was such an interesting pick. And I'll just say this from a Lakers perspective. You know, they were Lakers are going after um, I guess it was talked about Serge and Montrez and them getting Montrez. And I was like, oh my goodness, Serge would have been like so much better. And what a find, like, well, not what a find, but what a fit he is with the Clippers, with that relationship with Kawhi, with the system where I knew Tyler would get more out of him with his skill set, what he brings to the table. And he just, I mean, he was injured. I guess that's the plain and simple truth of it. But I guess like the question no. for me, and I, I mean the, the, the deep dive that I have no idea is like, what really went on? Like, I could just say, okay, he was injured. And yeah. that might work in like 90% of the conversations, but I had no idea what the injury was aside from being the back and how, it, how um, impactful it was. Like there was a lot kind of there. And you mentioned the Clippers in their kind of hush hush on the history, on the injuries, but like it was shrouded oh. in history. <laughs> I got to be careful uh, not oh. to get uh, in trouble because I mean, oh. I could go off. I could go off about this. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> oh, man. The fact, the fact that, that Serge Ibaka, the fact that this dude had probably the worst injury of his career, just in ter- it wasn't even like an injury injury. It was like a, you know, and this is where it kind of, this is where it gets a little confusing because I don't know the medical terminology. So I got to kind of like be brief because I don't want to sound like an idiot to yeah. people that might be listening oh. that they actually know what's going on. But I believe he told us that he had like a pen, like a nerve, like a nerve issue in his back. And he said he was feeling it all season. And you're like, you know, you look at when he started or when he left play. I mean, he, right after the all-star break, I mean, it was either a Golden State game or it was like a, you know, a, a Dallas back-to-back that he missed. And and we didn't really know because up until the All-Star break, he was fine. He was great. He didn't really miss games unless it was for rest or something, you know. Um, so he told us that like early in December or, or January that he had this, like this like nerve issue in his back. And he said he didn't think anything of it. And, you know, they kind of thought that it would just go away. But. It got it kept getting worse and worse and worse and and he told us man and you can't really understand surge that much that's that's partly why because you know that thick accent like it, yeah. it's partly why we uh we only this is funny we only spoke to him three times during the whole season three oh, really? times on zoom the whole season now wow. for perspective like Kawhi and peachy talk after every game mm-hmm. but Wow. <laughs> so is, all yeah, season. A small sample for sure. <laughs> Three times. And I think the reason is like if you're not in person, you can't really understand what he says. It's really hard. Uh you have to you have to be dialed in. Mm. Um, but he told us something like, you know, it got it kept getting worse and worse. And man, when he told us that he couldn't barely sleep at night, that it hurt when he slept or rolled over in his bed. I was like, dude, this 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 guy shouldn't have been playing up until March yeah. or whatever it was. Or February it was actually like February. No, it was it was March. Yeah, he played right after the All Star break. Like you know, March fourteenth was his last game against New Orleans. He played eight minutes, and and uh, after that, it was just these you know sporadic updates. Like very rare, we would get an update. He would he would be day to day for about two months. He was day to day. Wow. So it, it it got to the point where I was just uh, on on Twitter. I was just counting the days. Like you know, Serge Ibaka has been out for now seventy days in a row, and. It, it got to the point where no no one had any clue what was going on. And then he makes this return during the, you know, 
uh, infamous garbage time games that people thought the Clippers were, were choking them on purpose. And, you know, instead of just resting their guys, so weird. he comes back, he comes back during those <laughs> looks good offensively, but isn't moving around well at all. You could tell like laterally and, and just like run up and down the court. He, something was off. And then the playoffs start that first round against Dallas. You think everything's fine. They lose the first two games and then, Going into game three, Serge is like questionable again. And you're like, okay, well, or doubtful, I should say. He, he was listed as doubtful going into that game three against Dallas. And the funny thing to me was they put doubtful on in the injury report and the dude didn't even make the flight to Dallas. He, was, he stayed <laughs> wow. in LA. Were, I, I'm going to go out on a, go out on a limb and say he wasn't doubtful. He was not going to play. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, like that's called out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and up until that point, just for perspective, that, you know, this is like June 1st, right? Um, up until that point, all we thought was just a, a nerve issue, like that he kind of got over through rest mm. and it might be back again. Well, it's determined that he's out for like, you know, the rest of the, of the series. And then he might be able to play against Utah. Well, during the Utah series, he ends up getting back surgery out of nowhere. I'll never forget being in the airport coming home. I live in Louisville, Kentucky right now, but uh, coming home and like, I just get this alert that Serge is getting back surgery. I'm like, why? Like, like, like out of nowhere. And that, that ends his season. So I basically just went through it. I mean, he played, that was his injury situation, but in terms of his play, he he was really good for them. I think something you pointed to at the top of your at the top of the segment was that the Lakers could have really used that for the same price point that Montrez signed for. Yeah, what was it the the mid level? Is that yeah. what it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's kind of like you know yeah I do agree, and I think that he's good with the five out system, or he can be this uh you know pick and pop big if you want him to just to knock down some open shots. Uh, he can't really roll that much anymore, like, you know, to the effect that he was in OKC or anything. But sure. um, I think he played really, really well with the Clippers up until the back injuries in, in March and, and, and forward. And it's more of a situation now where you don't know what to expect. We don't know if he's ready for training camp. We don't know if he is – we don't know if the back issues is going to be a prevalent thing or if it's just over with. You would like to think the surgery kind of – kind of fixes all that but we don't know yeah exactly and i guess that's you know that's a perfect transition to <laughs> the bigs shane because yeah we have we have so many i guess if there's any questions there i mean and that's after of each is about so like let me just get ahead of that first because i heard that a few times and i'm like okay like there's questions there yes but like i don't think there are after your starting center like yeah. it's like who comes like to spell him because you're right like we don't know with with surgeon and where he's at and Honestly, I'm going to throw it to you. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, kind of would they go smaller. I mean, you already have yeah. a, a guys that can – I mean, Marcus Morris already at the four. Like, where where do the Clippers kind of go um, to, to, to fill in that big spot? Mm-hmm. So, it's a good question. Uh, I'm glad you asked that because I, I think fortunately for the Clippers, but unfortunately for Surge, so mm. both of those in mind, okay. I think that the playoffs shown or showed that – they are very, very competent, very, very capable and and willing. I think willing is the biggest part to go small. And, you know, I mm. that might be that might be like the Lakers downfall right now is that they don't know when to go small. Right. Oh. Uh, that might be like the only that might be the only downfall of that team is that they they don't really know when to play 80 at the five. And then he kind of has to suck it up. But, and I think it's pretty telling that the Clippers have 
you know, two guys, I, I guess you could say concretely two guys, Batum and Morris, that are not only like willing to play it, but like inviting it. Like they like to play the five. So I think it's I think it's important to to note that although they have these two bigs, both both just came off injury. Zoo off that MCL sprain was just a grade one, I think. And then Surge with that back stuff, like they have no problem just putting more Morris out there for various minutes. I mean, I don't think Marcus Morris wants to play like 30 minutes at center, but I think he does want to play. I think he can play effectively, you know, 15 minutes at center, like a night if he wants to, or, you know, I I guess like on occasion, um, that would be what I do like down the stretch of the season. Obviously a lot of teams and I think, both LA teams are going to do this. Like you're, you're going to start out wanting to play big just to kind of put that in your back pocket. Right. And then use your Batum and Morris at the uh, downsize lineups later on. And that's really what won them. The jazz series going small. Is doing that. That and I, you're right. The flexibility the Clippers had. You said they have no problem going small and being just as effective when doing so. Um, and you're right. Whether it does kind of you know shrink surge to a smaller role, which I mean at this point it's probably for the best, considering that you know while you still gauge like where he's at physically and just his um, availability, uh, it's probably smart. But you said it like they did go small uh, in, in great spurts. You mentioned Batum and them very well. Um, and I guess that's something you're right. They could kind of lean into. And you brought the Lakers. I'm totally with you, man. Let me just take a moment. I've done this on every show. I've done for like the last. <laughs> Do <sorry>. it, please, <laughs> please. I have to. I've done this on every show. For like the last like two shows I've done, where it doesn't matter. I have to bring it up. What is this Lakers front office doing in terms of? Okay, we'll just put aside Russell Westbrook. It's been talked about enough. I'm I'm of the opinion of all of that. Even with this big situation, you said it. Like being able to go small, being able to be flexible. Instead of that, why not double down? and bring DeAndre Jordan to the mix. Also, let's get <laughs> rid of, like, did people watch DeAndre Jordan last year? Okay, but even if they didn't, like, Marcus the way that he was marginalized his entire Lakers experience, mind you, was he the yeah. panacea the Lakers needed? Absolutely not. But, like, what he brought, like, an element of, of, of at least knowing where to be defensively. Yes, being picked apart on switches, 36, but being able to shoot, being able to pass, a different element that the Lakers bigs haven't had in years. And they Just say, being you know what? smart. Being Thank very you. smart. You said it. And like as much as like, yeah, Dwight Howard is fun and dunks are cool and you know, big, strong, like that's great. Like all I, I totally get it. They want to go back to that 2020 model. But like what people don't understand is like this team isn't that 2020 team. And not because they're a completely older team, but because LeBron was more your point guard, whereas now Russ is your point guard. You had more yeah. spacing last year than you have this year. And you're relying on two guys in Howard and, and, and DeAndre Jordan that I'm like, you don't bring DeAndre on without promising some minutes. So if you're going to obviously rely upon him more in the regular season, and then I imagine in the regular, in the, you know, in the postseason, Vogel will kind of do what he did in 2020, you know, AD more five, Dwight Howard, the backup, DeAndre Jordan, like the depth. But like, I don't understand it. Um, Like you said, the Clippers, if you talk about a versatile roster, the Lakers have some versatility. I don't think it's nearly as versatile as people yeah. bring it up. And this is someone who, who wants it to be. I, I just don't. I think that, yeah, people, well, uh-huh. I'll let you go. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you're uh, understandably frustrated. Uh, yeah. I think so. The big thing is like their 2020 team had the best flexibility, like the best versatility. They could do anything they wanted. I mean, and mm-hmm. and it seemed like they were happy to do that. I mean, AD, I do believe it was like their honeymoon phase too. Like, you know, AD just gets there. He's finally on a contender after all his life, you know? And it's like, I think he was more willing to do that because he was just happier but now like after winning the title maybe he just maybe he falls into this belief that that 
he can always play it anytime he wants, but he's not going to do it until it really, really, really matters. And maybe that's maybe that's the whole thing of it. And the rust fits interesting. I I think it can work if I, t- I tell you what, if they're going to play big with rust there and have another non-shooter out there with DJ or Dwight, pick your poison, whichever one it is, they better get a lot of lobs. They better get a lot of vertical. Uh, uh, opportunities. Yeah. They better they better bend the defense a lot, and they, they better run pick and roll constantly with those guys. But I do fear, like if you're having, I don't know why we just turned this to Lakers podcast, but this will be it. This will <laughs> yeah, be it. This, this will be it right here. I, that that was hilarious how that just happened. That, yeah. that was comical. Um, I, I do fear, like if you're having Russ and your center running pick and roll in the middle, what are what's AD and LeBron doing? Is LeBron just being this this spot up spacer now? Is that exactly. what he's doing? That's not exactly, and that's not that's not his best role, you know. Like exactly, yeah. you said it. Thank you for for just indulging me for a moment there um, <laughs> with some Lakers time. Because I was like, I just you talk about the Clippers, and it like my eyes started twitching. Like yes, like why can't the front office of the Lakers like see that this is I don't know uh, another st- and, now, I, and I really more of that. <laughs> And I really do now back to locked on, back to locked on Lakers. Like I, I do believe, <laughs> I, I do believe that uh, that there's a difference between being like you know skeptical of it and then flat out thinking that it's a horrible team uh, yeah. off the bat. Yeah. So I'm like I'm like kind of where you are. It seems like I do. I think they're going to be the number one seed. I mean, probably I would probably say Utah is going to be number one based on yeah. continuity. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think Lakers will be two, three with Phoenix, yeah. whoever, They're whatever that is. Um, do I think that they're going to be a really good team? Yes. But do I think they'll win the title? Probably not. I mean, there's a difference, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. I'm, I'm, see, I'm glad we, like I said, I'm glad we had a moment there. Cause that's exactly where I feel about that. And it's like, it, and I guess it just shows like one, it shows that we just talked about the Clippers and Rondo. Every front office can have a couple of goose and we get that. It was just like, yeah. and one thing, long-term philosophy, I think the Clippers are, and there's a perfect segue back into um, their outlook. Yeah. I think that this year is going to be interesting. And this is why this is honestly next to the Rondo question, the biggest, like this has been a great conversation so far, but like, I'm really happy to get you on to, to answer this because I've heard kind of all over the place uh, about yeah. the Clippers team where they are i've heard some regroup stuff and i'm like eh. i mean they have some <laughs> win now guys i don't know if you're like saying hey you know paul paul george just sit out year 32 you know come back and, and give us everything you got next year like yeah. like what is the outlook of this team just next season i mean you like you said you already kind of huh. said one yeah you gave one two and three kind of in utah phoenix and, and the lakers but like the clippers are in there somewhere give me if you can give some additional context it's like where you kind of have them where you yeah. think they'll be uh, it's probably the most like gut wrenching, or it's probably like the toughest thing to mm-hmm. to kind of project. It's like, man, you just don't know, and I think you have to go into it with assumptions. So, um, I think I'm different than a lot of people that that uh, that believe. You know, whenever you talk about Kawhi in this team, you kind of you kind of hear that it's it's already accepted he's going to miss the whole year. I'm not there yet. I, okay. I I kind of I've said this on a couple of podcasts. So I'm not you know uh, it might seem like they're regurgitating the same thing, but I think um, I, I would kind of set the date at like you know mid March for me. Like I I kind of think that if he is ready to go by you know he tore he tore a minor tear a minor tear in the ACL in what June early early to mid June. Um, then the surgery was in mid July. Uh, the, the, that month could cost him, you know, waiting around to get it, um, the surgery. But like, I do believe if he's ready to go by like February or so, then they'll kind of give him a month to ramp up. 
And I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's back by the playoffs. Um, the problem becomes like, do you, do, do you think that Kawhi's camp, his personal camp, you know, in his trainers that he pays a lot of money for it. Do you think that they're going to advise him to sit out uh, based on his injury history? Do you think that they're going to say, even though you're ready to go March 1st, like we're just shutting it down. Like you're not coming back to October. We're going to make sure you're, you're 150% ready to go. That's a possibility. Yeah. And so I think you have to go on with the, with the perception of the Clippers this year and where they'll land in the West standings and where, what their record will be, where, where they'll rank and everywhere. I, I think you have to kind of like, basically say Kawhi is not going to play for at least 80%, 85% of the season, maybe, okay. maybe 90, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he plays the, the last couple of weeks. I, I don't know what the situation is going to be, but um, if he's out, just strictly out, it rests a lot on Paul George. And that's the very obvious uh, cliche statement. It's like, you know, PG has to shoulder a lot of the load now. Well, duh, he definitely has to. I, I don't think that looks like a scenario where, at least in the Clippers' best interest, I don't think that makes him have 35% usage. I don't think that he's going to be doing something that he's never done before. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say like he's going to be the MVP. I mean, he, he could very well get into the top five of, of MVP by propelling this team to like the top three or four. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. So yeah. if, if, if you ask me like for a realistic kind of like bound or area where they're going to be landing, mm-hmm. I, I do believe, like on my first run, run through like the the win projections. I think I'll have them at forty six. Okay. I think you know forty six wins, thirty six losses. I think that's what it comes out to. Um, it's you know that's a good that's a good point to be at because you know I'm not sure what their over under was. It might have been forty four. So, but um, I think that allows for you know some injury concerns because this team does have injury concerns. But I think. 46 wins might be on the higher end as well. Like, I don't, I just don't think that they have 50 in them unless Kawhi's there. That's just me. Uh, Maybe people disagree, but the problem becomes, Corbin, like, if you, if you're going to tell me they win 46 games and they're like maybe the sixth seed, okay, I think historically 46 wins will be about the six or the, or the seven. I mean, just in both conferences. I know there are some years the West is like so supreme that it takes fifty wins just to get in, right? Yeah. Um, it, it could it could, it could be that cut, cut, that kind of year, but if it's a normal year, I think you know six seed or so. Try to avoid the play in is what they'll do until maybe they get Kawhi back. But if you're going to tell me that's the case, Kawhi, or uh, PG has to play seventy plus. If he doesn't play seventy plus games, um, it, it gets tough because you have to rely a lot on. You know, whether it's games against, I'm just throwing teams out there, Memphis, you know, Cleveland, like just these just random games on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. You have to rely on Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard to kind of drive your offense or, you know, Marcus Morris to drive your offense. Uh, that's that's when you get in the situation where you're getting a lot of bad shots. Bledsoe starts taking 15 to you know 20 shots if he has to. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson is all over the place. Maybe he doesn't play particularly that as well as he did um, in the, in the, in the playoffs this past year, which he shot lights out. So I think, you know, PG has to play 70 if they want to get to their ceiling. Definitely. And I, I like that. I mean, that's a nuanced take for a team that is full of nuance in terms of where they can land. Um, Man, I got to say, listen, we might have to double back on this at another time because you brought Reggie Jackson in my head and went, darn it, I didn't even mention Reggie it, Jackson. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, 
it's incredible and and really that's the that's the sign of a free-flowing conversation when there's so much stuff and talking points and you don't even get to know them all but oh most definitely i mean basically i mean we did we touch on reggie for like one minute i mean it's Mm -hmm. like for reggie i i thought that it was a home run deal for the clippers and that he could have got more money absolutely the fact that it was two i mean you know the two years i'm like "Ah, i thought he could have got more than that i thought Mm -hmm. For sure, they give him more years or something. Maybe at the same pay rate because there was only a certain pay rate that he could get from the Clippers. It was that what was it, the hundred twenty percent bonus? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah so because he had non bird rights, right? So it. Um, I thought for sure a team and and at the beginning of free agency or in the middle was going to throw out a number that uh, the Clippers probably were not going to match. So because um, they all they could match was four years, forty six million or something like that. So yeah. I just I thought Reggie was gone, but the fact that he's back on a Good team-friendly deal. Hey, that's good for them. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, like you said, if he can play, you know, probably not lights out playoffs like that, but he's been really solid for them um, yeah. since he's been over, you know? And, of course, the friendship with um, Paul George, that he credited the Clippers, of course, saving his career. And, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, his career has really flourished. I didn't see him getting another, I thought it was a vet minimum kind of, you know, that's, that's the phase of his career now, you know, just start a little earlier than most at 30, 31. He said... Reggie mm-hmm. said, like, if it wasn't for the Clippers kind of, like, bringing him in after the Detroit bought him out. Yeah. And him and and him flourishing uh, this past or not flourishing in the bubble. He was bad in the bubble, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but like him developing those connections is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that and them kind of encouraging him to come back after he just was not good in the bubble, then he would have retired. Oh, he, wow. he yeah, he might have been out of the league. He said, but he, he said the connections he developed. This was right after they lost to Phoenix, mm-hmm. and we were like asking him about his time in LA. Um, he said, like if that didn't happen, if they didn't like ask for him back, mm-hmm. then then he would have been out. Wow, that just shows you. Wow, the power just well, a year, a team, a perfect fit. That's a mm-hmm. lot. That's crazy. I couldn't. I didn't even see that. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like gone. Yeah, he's I only thirty one. Like, you know? Yeah, and just to walk away from it all, just. I mean, he'd had a rough go. I mean, people talk about Blake Griffin and, and, and Detroit experience for him, but, like, you talk about someone in Reggie Jackson who, I mean, if you already knew, like, follow from Oklahoma City, is already kind of a hard-in-the-sleeve emotional kind of guy. And yeah. the rut he had in Detroit and, you know, all the flack he got there, that's that's crazy. Well, well, props to him and the Clippers fighting each other, you know, when they needed <laughs> it and making that happen. But, um, wow, Shane, this has been an amazing conversation, man. First, thank you for your time. We're going well over an hour and change. I don't even know um where we're at right now but i know i'm gonna like edit this and be like oh my gosh like this is awesome and well I'm you know I, I no problem man i appreciate you having me on i do believe that like it if it's a good if it's a good conversation it doesn't matter how long it is i mean i'll i'll, I'll be on the treadmill or playing basketball and listen to a podcast right like it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's an hour and a half <laughs> um it. now some podcasts are like three hours i'm like you know like, chill out <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah like, get a hold of yourself y'all <laughs> yeah but hey i i'm definitely uh i do not want to skip over the top five if you I, if you don't want to i was about to say we, we have okay. to get that i'm glad i appreciate it this is something i actually picked up in vegas it was a great conversation starter um especially since like my friend ran to my phone and I, um, he's a, I, uh, I'm not even, I'll put the link in later, but he yeah. writes for the 76ers. He also on the side does like wallpapers. And so as a joke, I have him do a wallpaper of, you know, my top five favorite players to watch, like favorite players, not the best, whatever. Somebody saw my phone and was like, who are those? I'm like, Oh, and boom, conversation started. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? This is really cool to kind of have is like, a com- you know, people, especially people cover the league. You're, you're, so, you're looking on your team. You're so focused on the league at large. Like, of course, you know who your favorite players are, but when you get a moment to really think back, it's like, wait a second. It's an interesting little thing. So I call it a hoop vibe squad. I am very interesting to hear, or very interested, rather, to hear what your top five yeah. favorite players are, Shane. Well, 
you know, I, I don't think uh, you're I don't think you're going to be very interested in the list, and because <laughs> the way I, the reason I say that is, you know, I, I whenever you showed me your list, I'm like, man, this guy really uh, valued a lot of these role players and considers them, you know, or these uh, one off stars that Shot that suckers. aren't like you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like. I, mine's not that like compelling. It's it's mainly like the top guys. Um, yeah. j- just from my from my uh, I guess childhood slash when I got into basketball. So I guess I'll ask you a question first. When did you mm-hmm. start watching the NBA? Not not like covering it, but like watching it and knowing what was going on. Okay, I will say that was around. It's funny. I had like two like evolutions. So first was around eight, um, and this was just after the Lakers had their three-peat. And I was like, you know, I like that. Okay. And the joke I tell people, like, oh, of course you're a Lakers fan. I'm like, well, like, you want to understand why. Um, <laughs> and, like, eight-year-old Corbin was not a Lakers fan because of Shaq or Kobe. Eight-year-old Corbin liked the purple and yellow and thought that was, like, yeah. a great color. And I said, you know what? That's my squad. Like, that's how I'm rocking with my team. Um, and this was right after the three-peat. So now, you know, a lot of uh, Smush Parker and Brian oh, Cook and, you know, <laughs> a Kwame Brown and, you know, Sasha Vujicic, like a lot of that. Um, but that's where I first came in. When I first saw it, I'm not going to lie. I was like, you would have hated, well, a lot of people would have hated a year old Corbin. I was a mess. But anyways, like, you know, I'm looking at people with the ball in the basket. I'm like, ooh, I like it. That's what I want. And I remember yeah. my dad, like, you know, I ended up playing basketball um, all through high school. And my pops, when we first started playing basketball, like outside in the street, he let me play for like a year by myself, just like doing what I want to do. You know, I'll shoot threes and, and I, felt, I felt like the rest. Now I do what I want. And I remember the day he tried to break down the pick and roll to me. And I remember it's, it's weird how juvenile it was. Where I'm like, why would I need that? I could just take you off the dribble. <laughs> like, exactly. like that was the mindset. And so growing up, obviously getting a lot more of a, of a uh, more, uh, I want to say mature basketball take analysis, understand the history and appreciation yeah. of that and everything. But also at my core, realizing that eight-year-old Corbin still likes the guys who somehow managed to get to the <laughs> highest level and keep the same sort of mindset that eight-year-old Corbin had. And that is why that top five are there. And it shows, I mean, obviously they're not there for the longest. You don't find the greatest of all time with yeah. that type of mentality. But I think it's hilarious to say, okay, you know what? The league takes all shapes. And I think that my five kind of symbolize that for me because you look at that and you go, man, he's crazy. But I'm like, there's a story behind it. So I'm <laughs> glad you asked. <laughs> It, it's funny though, considering Terry Rozier went to Louisville and I went to Louisville, so it's, <laughs> oh, wow, it's hilarious. There you go. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, for me, I think we started. It sounds like we started watching it the same kind of kind of year, I guess, or kind of mm-hmm. generation. It definitely the same generation, but um, time period, I should say. But like, can, even though I'm one year older, it seems like I think uh, I actually started watching up maybe a year later than you. I think my oh, wow. first, my first kind of i guess uh, segment of watching it was kobe was by himself he didn't have Shaq, so it, it was during that same team but it was like the month that he dropped 81 i think you know that january 20 2006 something like that i mean mm-hmm. yeah it, it was it was around there that i kind of got into it i mean and i remember my first you, you know you have like flashbulb memories you have these memories that you'll never forget and I'll just never forget where I was when he hit that uh, running pull up over the Suns to win that game at the buzzer. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. with, in the white jerseys, you know, at home at Staple. Like, you know, I'll never forget that. And that was my first like moment of watching basketball that I understood it. Right. So that was like 2006. I think it was mm-hmm. 2006 or 2007 playoffs. One of those. Yeah. You had um, 2006, yep. So 
that's kind of where it started for me. And then I was a big Kobe slash Lakers fan, just by extension Lakers, mainly Kobe. But like, you can't just be a player fan at 06. That wasn't a thing that existed. <laughs> nope. Right. So then you just lean into the Kobe and LeBron rivalries and then you hate LeBron, quote unquote, you know, which never was the case. But it's mm-hmm. like you have to like. You have to play in. You have to lean into that. Draw right? your lines, like pro wrestling yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like Stone Cold of the Rock, pick one now. Yep. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I say all that. A long-winded way of saying Kobe is my number one undisputed favorite guy. I mean, that, that's never going to change. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you know he passed like two days after I got back from a from a media trip, it was just like it, it was wow. sickening. I mean, I didn't yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was Hard in that much. Miami at that Miami game. I come back and. I'm seeing Doc Rivers on on TV, talk, you know, crying about it. I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, that was that was tough for me. But number two, just because of, I think how much he irritates people for how quiet he is and how just the the mentality of it and just like uh being a two way guy, which I love. Like you know, I, a guy like Kobe that can be one of the let's say ten best offensive players in the world ever, and then also make nine all defensive selections. Yeah. It was really cool to me. So I think Kawhi Leonard for me is number two. That that doesn't come by that's not by surprise. I mean everyone knows I like Kawhi Leonard. So mm-hmm. that's fine. Dominant. Um and, and all these guys are from this era. And that's what I was gonna say is noticing on your header as well, all your all your favorite guys, like I don't have any like, you know, nineties guys that are my favorites. Like one of my buddies that covers the Clippers, he's a few years older than me, but one of his favorite players is Ron Harper. And I'm like, <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> okay. that's not going to be me, bro. Like, I'm that's sorry. That's a choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be from this generation. because That's what I fell in love with. But yeah. um, to know, I think to nobody's surprise, if you follow me on Twitter, number three for me is Chris Paul. Uh, yep. I LeBron fans won't like, never like when I say this, but to me, he's the smartest player that's ever lived. I think that dude's IQ uh, in, in every single situation there's not a single pick and roll defense he hasn't seen. There's not a single coverage he hasn't seen, not a defensive tactic he hasn't. I mean, he can pick apart things like it's a machine. And that's yeah. what I like about it. It's the more intel version of the game. Um and because he is probably like the guy that I wanted to play like, but I did I wasn't the height of this guy on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh Kevin Durant. I, I love KD's game. I love just his his <laughs> style. I think forget the personality, forget the personality, forget like, you know, jumping from team to team, all that, what mm-hmm. people don't like him for. It's like the hezy pull-ups, the, the post game where he developed over the last few years with, you know, the, the Dirk like shots um, being this guy that, that nobody has an answer for. Like I always, uh, Corbin, do you play games? Do you play video games? You know, it's funny. So I'm sadly just like a, 2k kind of basketball gm okay. guy but i have played like i i, I know i yeah. play around call of Duty, some other stuff yeah well i'm there so if you i'm not sure if you have xbox or not but my first mm-hmm. ever gamer tag was young durant it was so oh. cheesy but <laughs> <laughs> it was like so it. <laughs> it was so stupid but i love the guy and that's when he was at texas so wow. i mean like you know i really did like kd from day one from um yeah. number five so after kobe Kawhi, cp3 and kd i just love those all those guys gains but mm-hmm. number five for me um i'm, I'm gonna go with wild card because i don't really have a fifth favorite player i never thought about that so when you when you asked me mm-hmm. in the prompt like i was like okay let me try to let me get funky funky with it a little bit okay um i really really had an infatuation with brandon roy yeah wow i, I love brandon roy mm-hmm. back in the day man i mean in portland it was 
for those two or three years that he that you could see that he was about to take the league by storm, or you could see he was about to be on that level, maybe a level below Kobe and those guys. Like he wasn't there yet, but you could see it was coming. I mean, I I really enjoyed watching him play in, in Portland. So. Yeah, that's a solid one, man. I know he was someone I really I remember. I remember him. Obviously, I was I know exactly where I was. It was I think game four against the Mavericks. Oh, um, man. <laughs> oh, my. I was at the gym playing basketball and with my pops and, and some friends. And, you know, it was like the, the gym where, where, where it's at. Based, I'm in Arizona, but you had a um, you had the gym on one side and then like the rec room with the TV, you know, in the main hall. And I remember yeah. leaving when they were up by like Mavericks up by like 20 something. I was like, yeah, this game's over. Like, let's play some games. And one of my friends <laughs> said, bro, they're coming back. And I came back right when, like, Brandon, I think last, the shot I saw before that was, like, Nick Batum hit a three, like, finally, because he missed, like, a bunch going up to that point. And that, like, the rest of that game, man, you know, like you said, that moment, it just takes you, and you're just like, I'm witnessing something that's just like, this is a crazy experience. I mean, every yeah. time he touched the ball, it was going in, and that final ISO on Sean Marion doing the exact same move, you know, it was like a left to right cross <laughs> over the bank, and it was like, oh, my good, like, I'm with you on that. When you said about the Kobe, um, uh, with that shot over the suns like those yeah. moments just stick with you i love your top five and that's really solid and like the funny thing is if you've followed chain or been around or know like when you say kd when you said Kawhi, and when you said chris paul even i mean yeah even last year you were talking all three about those guys throughout the same so like you've been following those guys but like kobe of course you you brought up i didn't realize how poignant when you brought that 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 memory of just the loss of kobe and and how that was I, yeah like i mean said, it, it's it, it crushed it, it crushed you know what actually sucked the most about that mm-hmm. is uh, I'm not sure if you had to do this. You grew up a Lakers fan. I'm not sure if you grew up a I Kobe didn't. fan necessarily, but uh-huh. um, but telling like because like going up and going upstairs when because I, I was a uh, I was at my parents when it happened because like mm-hmm. you, my mom picked me up from the airport and I just stayed with them over the weekend, right? Yeah. Um. So going up to where they were and telling them that it happened that that sucked. Like Ooh. telling people that revealing the information. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, that, that was- hurt. It, it did. It did. I think for me, it was just as bad doing that. And everybody, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm usually not to, what was me here, but like, um, I hang on myself. I'm like watching basketball. I go to my job, my day job, you know, they, people know if anything, Corbin likes basketball. Right. And yeah, so yeah. when that moment happens and I remember exactly what it was, cause I was, again, it was funny going to go play basketball with my friend. And so I did not know I come and sit in the yeah. car and my bro tells me, and I said, that's, I may have been some colorful language. That's not funny. Like, like, don't like, yeah. don't say that, you know, like, like, where is this coming from? Cause he's, you know, he's not like that. He's like, nah, man, I'm serious. And Oh my gosh. Even now I could feel like just everything kind of leave your body and just like, like you're just empty. Like you don't even know. And then we yeah. had to go in the gym and the gym was quiet. You know, I don't know how you can play. Like, I, I don't know how oh you can play. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I wanted to, because we were already like, I didn't want to go back inside. I didn't know what to do. Shay. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was like, yeah what to do so we went to go in the park and we like came inside and just sat down and it, the funny thing yeah. is like some people still played but it was it was just this quiet atmosphere and my phone was big up with everybody who even knows like like basketball so I'm like I'm like listen I turned my phone off I was like I know like like I know like thank you but oh you want to talk about yeah and for me Kobe was it was weird I ended up like gravitating more to Kobe like when I, I it's weird how like each of my top five players and, and when you have these moments where you like go with that guy. And for me, I think mm-hmm. it was that 2005, 2006 season, seeing Kobe continue to be relentless and continue to be the same after, you know, the team just wasn't, you know, what it was. And 
I didn't even know. I like I said, I wasn't watching basketball when they were winning rings, but I knew. I mean, come on, there's highlights, ESPN and stuff. They haven't changed. They were quick to say, "Well, just two years ago, the Lakers were, you know, whatever the case may be." Um, and his tenacity, his drive that you know, you say the mom yeah, mentality, man. but that's no joke. Like that, that was 100 him. And I don't know, man. Like you said, only grew in appreciation. His last game, I remember exactly where I was. I was losing my absolute <laughs> mind. I was like, "Yes." That was like, my last year of college too. Like wow. I, that, that's crazy, yeah, it, dude. It was insane. So. Man, this has been that's been a reflection. Wow, that was. Whew. Yeah, and wow. I think the the whole the, you know the whole Kobe thing. I think the reason I kind of said undisputably like he's never going to be number two. Like for mm-hmm. me, it's always going to be number one. It was more so like how he he made you like because we're the same age. We're me and yeah. you about the same age. So mm-hmm. the fact that he was on top of his game when we were in high school, right? I think yes. yeah, he was. Yes, we were in the same. high school beginning stages. He was at his top of his game, winning that 09 title. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my freshman year. And it's like for him to make you apply his hard work and, and all the stuff and tenacity, as you say, and, and everything else, make that a, make you apply that to your own stuff, like your own hobbies, your own bas- being on the basketball team in high school, uh, doing homework. I mean, the fact that he says, like, you know, work hard now so you can rest later. I mean, all that stuff that he kind of the mama mentality thing, I mean, that you don't see that. I mean, what other players are kind of like motivating you to do your own thing? That's true. You're right. In your own way, taking that same yeah. principle mindset. Yeah, you're right. It's an inspiration. And you definitely in don't see way. like, you know, you definitely don't see like Kawhi and these guys doing that, right? No. <laughs> so. And that's one thing you're right. Like the next generation's probably passed in that way. Like they're not passed, but they, they took it. We all took it, but maybe aren't yeah. passing it to like the next one. Like, yeah, like, like you said, like taking that and saying, okay, whatever you're going to do, like funnel that, that, that drive and tenacity and make the most of it. And I mean, in some, like you could say like maybe Kawhi is maybe like a show and not tell definitely like he doesn't, it used to infuriate me, man. Mm-hmm. I used to find reason not to like the guy at this point, you have to <laughs> simply respect him, but like, cause he doesn't say anything. He's committed to that. And Kevin Durant probably says a lot, but what really yeah. gets me over anything else. And like, yeah, I was one of the many, I'm sure that we were all anti Kevin Durant after he went to golden state, but like, what it realized it for me was that okay, those decisions being something I will never understand, never been at level, never will be. But like also the dude just loves basketball. I mean, we saw yeah. this in the Olympics. Like at the end of the day, if you like basketball, you like Kevin Durant because that's what he wants to do before all. You know, like that is yeah. someone who like not only hones his craft and that is his craft, but like you can tell, like it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, he chose when he had the decision, as any free agent does, like that's what he wanted to do, fine. But like he would have played if he had decided to go to the Sacramento Kings. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. that's just him. And I think and, and, that appreciation's there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think KD could, if he wanted to, if, if health permitted, he would love to play till he's like 45. Of course. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think, I think he would actually be the Tom Brady to where he doesn't want to stop. No, I'm with but, you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be, his- he doesn't have kids. He no. doesn't have like, like, it's not like LeBron where LeBron is probably going to hang it up at a certain point because he has a family and stuff. But like, think KD could play till he's you know 50 like he he could continue to shoot the way he does forever so that's exactly awesome. and you can't stop it. exactly and yeah. coming off the injury I mean dude wow anyway I could go on and on this has yeah. been, this this has been so great fun, man. bro thank you again um yeah man I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a blast of a time here uh tell people of course where they can find you and like I know you're still taking a break but like when you get back yeah. I mean I know you got a bunch of things coming down the pipeline so at young NBA on Twitter but like um yeah let's let's yeah, stay man. tuned to get more of this I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, as you said, just Twitter is where you can kind of like 
get everything, I guess, at one spot. You know, everyone wants to plug their sites and stuff like that. But I mean, my link of my author bios in there and my, my Twitter. So you can go there for your one stop shop. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to write more so more more frequently this year. Um, going to try to hit. I'm, I'm basically just going to try to cover the Western Conference contenders uh, for, to, to begin the year. So we'll see how that works out. But mm-hmm. I'm going to be in L.A. and, and uh, San Francisco to open the year. So I guess it's October 19th or something like that. So. I'll probably drop some podcast. I'll probably be on some podcast that I'll plug then and there. So I don't know, nothing really in the works now, but when I do get back to writing again, in a couple of weeks, it's mainly going to be, uh, you know, I, I think Clippers related so far right now, but then after, after we get the season going, I'll do, you know, uh, game breakdowns and stuff like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun, man. Definitely looking forward to getting your content there. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I mean, when you start, when people start getting back, the season starts rolling, the anticipation, the excitement's there. Um, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun to follow, man. It's going to be a, a crazy year. And, uh, again, thank you again for coming on. We got to get you back on here again. Um, literally whenever you like, <laughs> like open invitation <laughs> and ramble, round, round ball ramble over I, here. I appreciate that. And then anytime I'm in, uh, are you in Phoenix? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anytime I'm there, man, which I was there during the, uh, the West finals just for mm-hmm. a few days, but okay. anytime I'm back, which I'm sure I will be, we'll, we'll probably do a live pod or something. Hey, I would love that, man. Definitely. Yeah. yeah let's make it happen for sure, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Shane. And listen, y'all, you know where to find him on Twitter at young NBA, you know where to find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Just, you know, how to keep that there. Um, check out hoop ball on Twitter at hoop ball tweets online, hoop dash ball.com. Uh, really appreciate y'all sticking with this. I hope y'all enjoyed as much as we did uh, for Shane, for myself, we are frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.